Uh, welcome back to Casual Obsession, the the no, Mike Flanagan podcast where we talk about Mike Flanagan. <laughs> now, of course, we we talk about other things too, uh, as we all know, and those things are the ghouls, yeah, Bugool, if you will. I will not from Sinister. Well, good because I didn't I didn't watch Sinister recently, so I didn't really want to talk about Bugool, if no. you know what I mean. Anyone got any good ghouls this week? No, no. I have a ghoul. Ah, Emma, do share your ghoul. So this ghoul comes highly recommended from one of you, actually. Uh-oh. Shit. Who could it be? Who could it be? Everybody's looking around, sweating anxiously as I'm about to reveal what I watched. I watched Quesera the Bone Woman. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> and Jeff is so excited. <laughs> yeah, what'd you think? For one, I feel like I need to watch it again. Because I was watching it while doing other things as well. Ooh, yeah, it's one you got to pay attention to. Yeah, paying attention is great. There are a lot of really great moments of discomfort that just really made me be like, ugh. And I had a lot of fun with it. Um, The commentary it is making on women and specifically, like, the expectation of women to, like, get pregnant, have kids and everything is Mm -hmm. incredible. And doing it in, like through a horror lens for somebody that is so afraid to give up their identity from before they like had this baby. It's really interesting. Um, the way that it portrays everything and the conversations it's creating and just the fact that it's like a foreign language film is just really great. And I really, really enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend people check it out. Hell yeah. Uh, that is um, also a Twitter Brandon favorite of 2023. Really? Oh, yeah? yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oh, Twitter Brandon has ringer. a good opinion again. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stopped clock and all that. Yeah. <laughs> you love it. Now, Way I said go, anyone Twitter have any... Brandon. Uh, does anyone have any good ghouls to gab? And Jeff said no. But I... I literally have An intelligent fellow am reading between the lines. <laughs> Damn, mm-hmm. never mind. Uh, I have a ghoul. Let's Ooh, hear let's it, Nino. So Noah and I watched the post. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, lead into it just like Emma. A very highly recommended from this podcast itself. Who could it be? Noah and I watched again. the Pope's Exorcist. Oh my um, God. Which also comes highly recommended And let me say. Me. I'm winning this week. It, yeah. it feels like a Conjuring Universe ripoff in a lot of mm, ways. Yes, it feels yeah. like it could slot into that universe very easily. Um, it's fine. It. Hits the beats exactly as it should. I have one thing that I will say about it. There is a hot priest and he gets drenched in blood. Russell Crowe. That is very true. Russell Crowe is also there. He does not get drenched in blood. I there's a scene and I'm like, this man looks better when he's like slightly damp, and then he immediately gets shoved into like a pool of holy water and then gets exploded blood all over him. And I was like, yeah. Somebody literally this man. the man was outside in the rain and was already wet, and Nina's like, oh, finally he's damp. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? He just, when his his hair was like quaffed and shit, he was fine. But the moment it was like stringy and in his face and shit, I'm like, yes. Now, (laughs) Nina says this was fine. I just want to say this is, I haven't seen a lot of Russell Crowe in a, Maybe ever. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen him do. Right? Just the, uh, 
the the priest who's just like a latte at this time of day please a double espresso please <laughs> too much fat are you guys kidding too me much sugar, so, yeah. or too much sugar uh, so funny i very very just funny. the way he I goes knew... around he's like oh i love jokes because the devil hates jokes so you should learn some jokes because you're too dry very funny <laughs> very funny i just like convincing it. me i need to watch this movie yeah right? you should oh, i think fine, you would though. have a good time it's with it genuinely it's so fun they use the dragon age inquisition symbol for the Inqu the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's like, it's the symbol of the Inquisition. That is the uh, the sword and eyeball logo from Dragon Age Inquisition. Oh my, oh my gosh, God. that is so funny. It's, they do this wait, 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 wait. What's, the, what's the Spanish Inquisition logo? I'm looking it's like it two up, logs up, hold bound up. together as a cross. It's way less interesting and and, and design-wise, like way less striking. Yeah, it's one of those things that you can tell some people who just wanted to murder people came up with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. This is a, a very not fun kind of logo mm -hmm. um russell crowe has i haven't seen too many russell crowe movies um and i feel like he was definitely getting typecasted for a long time on like because the gladiator-esque gladiator like hero yeah. role but another fun movie that he did with ryan gosling was the nice guys i heard good hmm. things about the nice yeah. guys it's I a fun, fun time about it. it's been a long time since i've watched it oh, so sure. maybe like it came out in the mid 20 teens late 20 teens ish era so maybe there's something in there that didn't quite age well i'm not entirely sure but mm. i remember having a lot of fun with it nice i forgot he played zeus and thor recently he seems oh, to be like easing he, he seems since um like les mis to have been easing into the like older man yeah kind of mm -hmm. roles which yeah. is good because he does a really good job of it. Yeah. Um, and in this one, it seems like he's just hamming it up. It was really... He's having fun in this one. It was really, really distracting to go from binging Better Call Saul and having Mike Ehrmantraut to House Usher and having Arthur Pym uh. and then going into the Pope's Exorcist <laughs> and having a, a completely different flavor of old man. He's just yeah. a silly boy. I thought Russell Crowe was in that that road rage movie and i can't find movie. it i don't know what it's called I so i can't even look it up about. but i did remember he's in noah as noah yeah and a friend oh, of the yeah. podcast jackson has wanted to watch that movie for a while now he probably watched it without he's me. talked about it a good bit. um because you know we uh growing up in uh the church both avoided yeah. the movie because we were told it was deeply heretical everyone we knew hated, <laughs> i heard it yeah. was deeply bad i also heard it was deeply bad <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, so, you know, maybe more Russell Crowe is in my future. I'm a big fan of his character in The Quick and the Dead, which is a Sam Raimi Western. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. He, I would watch the shit out of that. I, I love his character because he's the like, uh, you know, fastest draw in the West type like gunslinger, but he doesn't want to kill people and people keep challenging him to pistol duels oh and he's my just god like, what? no i don't want to but then he sees them reach for their gun and his hands just like act on instinct and he's already killed them before he can even apologize for it <laughs> i'm so excited oh i love that yeah um i i, I love him in that one no, I have a good lead into your goal, ghoul. Oh, yeah. Uh, go for it. Uh, uh, Jamie, Jamie, cut this out. <laughs> oh, right, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of the church. Oh, my God. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> so um, I made Nina watch. Um, I This was not meant to play out the way it did. <laughs> when I bought the movie three, I saw it and I'm like, this probably sucks. Because I, I looked at the back and the summary makes it look like a ripoff of Saw. 
Saw However, seven. clearly, well, no, yeah. Saw. Oh, yeah, Saw. Because clearly when you see THR3E, this is a seven ripoff. Naturally. And the back thing made it look like a Saw ripoff. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Saw was a seven ripoff too. So <laughs> maybe we're just like coalescing for a true like gem of like kind of shit. And then, shit oh God, we, Nina and I love when we, uh, when we pop in a Blu-ray or a DVD, right? We love to watch the trailers that land on these bad boys because oh, it's a yeah. little, it's a little glimpse into the past. Yeah, oh, what I love it. 17 Marine Corps movies were coming out when the Resident Evil movies were being made, you wow. know, stuff like that, right? How many movies can you even uh, make about the Marine Corps? Uh, how many war crimes would you like to commit? That's Ooh. how many movies you can make <laughs> about the U.S. military there. Uh, but you know. The previews for three open up with the name Frank Peretti. Jeff, do you do you remember who Frank Peretti is? Oh, how could I forget who Frank Peretti is? Yeah, the Christian <laughs> Stephen King. I put uh, my we hand. all know Frank Peretti. The second trailer played, and it's and it's had the same thing. And the first time I saw it, I was like, I know that name somehow, but mm-hmm. I didn't recognize it. Second time it came on screen, I put my hand on Noah's shoulder. And I said, Noah. Frank Peretti's a Christian horror author. <laughs> I read the first chapter of Monster that, one time. Yeah. My mom liked Frank Peretti, but she told me I could not read them until I was older, so I've actually never read any of his work. Better off that way. Probably. So, <laughs> you know, we uh we sat through three Frank Peretti trailers. Um and then one I'm greater sorry, hold overall on a second. Christian movie trailer. Like three movies the trailers for three movies that were all based on Frank Peretti books or like Correct. Yep. Oh my god. So was yeah. three? Was three a Frank no. Peretti? No. Three it was is not. a okay. different Christian right. author. Different Christian author, yep. Christian god. thriller author. So <laughs> let me let me paint you a picture. Oh let me paint you a picture. Um we uh, after we open up on a scene where a police person uh she like her brother gets blown up. I don't remember what her job is, <laughs> but she works with the police. And she wrote a book about the riddle killer. And the riddle killer didn't like it, so he blew up her brother. <laughs> the okay. Riddle killer. Um, the and he says that she call him. Like... They call him RK throughout the entire movie. What? I cannot. We cannot spend too long on this movie. No, so we I can't. will. I okay. will. I will con- contain myself. So uh, after this happens, we're immediately dumped into like a theology class where I hear the name Immanuel Kant for the first time in like twenty years. You haven't watched And the that good pissed place? me off. Hold up. Huh. You haven't watched yeah. The Good Place? I love The Good Place. In the, in I hear the... Kant all the time. Yeah. Fine. Okay, fine. Noah's like, I can't Five be years. bothered to watch The Good Place. <laughs> so true. But it's it's uh, like a guy talking about the nature of good and evil. Fast forward, big spoilers for this bullshit ass movie. It sucks ass. It would have been fun and not super like awful if it didn't hate people with mental health issues so much uh-huh. it like hated consistently them. shits on anyone who could possibly have any kind of mental illness Damn. um yeah this movie uh from? 2006, 2006. Uh, yikes okay oh, yeah. Um, but yeah yeah, yeah. here's the two funny things one christian movie you can't swear Naturally. no big swearing in this movie there's no oh, swearing. yeah i forgot about no this. big swearing secondly bill Mosby. Mosley. Oops. Bill Mosley. You know Mosley, right? I do know Bill Mosley from I, uh, those have Rob a typo Zombie in my bullshit here. <laughs> yes, Bill Mosley from Rob Zombies. He plays Otis. fucking all of them. He's in every movie the dude's ever made, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. He plays 
Um, okay, big spoilers for this shitty fucking movie. The bad guy, they're like, oh, the riddle killer is actually a personality. The main character has DID. Um, they're like, and the bad guy is a character. Oh, wait. Just hold on a second. Okay. They're like, the main character has DID, and this um, person who's been threatening him is just his evil side, played by Bill Mosley, yep. named Slater, um, who is not allowed to swear. So he's he, sh- <laughs> It's so funny. There's a there's like a slew of different lines where I paused the movie and turned to Nina, and I'm like, they wanted him to do an Otis bit here so bad, but because he can't call someone a fucking fuck. Right. It wasn't going to go. It did not work. So he keeps calling people little pukes. Oh, it makes me want to die. Okay. Oh, my God. Last last thing I'll say about this movie really quick. Um, The secondary plot twist is that the good girl character that the main character is in love with is also a personality that he's developed because of trauma. But she's still in love with him and he's still in love with her because he just loves goodness so much, I guess. Uh, The reason that his personality split is because... He was, you know, like uh, abused as a child, blah, blah, blah. But then when he wrote his thesis statement on the nature of evil, it made him wrestle with his internal evil so much that his personality splintered into. Um, also, he, his personality is not the riddle killer. It no, just the riddle killer is another guy. This totally is- different guy. Oh, that his personality decided to mimic because at the end of the movie, the riddle killer gets arrested and he's like, I just really hated that guy. He was mimicking what I was doing. Um, last thing I will also say before we move on is so it's because it developed when he started his thesis, this this um, secondary evil personality and it, it, like resurfaced. And then on top of that, um, it was only mimicking an actual serial killer. Somehow this man still knew how to build bombs, like yeah. working bombs. He <laughs> yeah, built he builds pipe bombs. Se- oh several pipe bombs that work in this movie and do blow things up. The only the only thing that dies in this movie outside of the guy who gets blown up in the opening sequence is the main character. Remember, this is his split personality, so he did this himself. Right. His dog gets blown up. Yeah. He blew up his own dog. And that is the only death we see on screen. See, I hate this movie. You started Incredible. off this summary, and I thought that you were going to end up saying that it was that the movie was like this, um, what I consider to be this like classic two thousands Christianity thing, where like all mental illness is blamed directly on demon possession. No. Mm, yeah. No, don't worry. The movie does end with the theology professor who's also a priest. Tries to get saying, everyone to sign a paper that says God is dead, right? Uh, no, no. He's, <laughs> he's a good guy because he says that Kevin, our main character, will never Kevin. get past his split personality issues until he learns to talk to God about it. Oh, of course. Mm, right. I mean, yeah. we all know that is how it works. We all know that that's how it works. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, that that's is... That's three. Wow. Frankly... Awful. Wow. Yeah, would Awful recommend. Movie. Definitely watch it. This is me being. Up do until not watch it. Literally, do not watch it. The third moment of um, them really aggressively shitting on mental illness. I was like, this is a fun enough movie that I would not be happy that I watched it, <laughs> but you know, it wouldn't be terrible. But then it just it was too much. Also, the the lead's name is Mark Blucas. That's his <laughs> real name, Mark Lucas. That's his God like Lucas with a B in, in the front. Script. That name. Yeah. No, that's the no, main, that is the real life lawyer, person who actually. played the main character's real life name 
is Mark blew kiss. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, Mark blew me a kiss. Oh my god. Ah! Oh my god, so true. Oh my I'm god. really worried that I know who this guy is. You might. I don't know any of his other, other movies. He's in a lot of like shitty Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah, I was about to say he's he been in like, like nine different Hallmark Christmas, Christmas movies. Um, he usually plays some sort of like military character. Oh, okay. in these movies, he's been an extra in a lot of like Law and Order shit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm scrolling his IMDb right now. Uh, anyway, nothing I recognize so yeah. far. But all, all right, I want to so, yeah, talk about that good was, things now. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah, uh, my my ghoul. That was an awful ghoul. I'm glad that we watched that's it a, together. That sounds like a really, truly terrible ghoul. Oh, he was on what an episode of House ghoul. MD. That would be it. Did Who you did he see... play? Uh, uh, some guy named John Kelly. Okay. In one episode. Did we see what? Did you all see the the TikTok going around where it's a Hallmark movie that came out this year where the main guy is like, I was coming to ask if you two are going to the Christmas tree decorating contest finalist gala like extreme or whatever tonight. Yeah, the <laughs> like the like Christmas tree tree decorating contest and cookie exchange and also donations are going yes. to this like it's, it's like, like literally so everything you could see you could put. I mean it's Christmasing. Uh, Leave him alone. It's so good. <laughs> Me when I'm Christmasing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we ready? We are. I'm ready whenever the Lord Jesus Christ is ready to come back. But until then, Hail Satan. We gotta wait. Oh, Hail wait. Satan. Okay, yeah, I, I was taking the wrong thing there. <laughs> I mean, uh... uh. Welcome back to Casual Obsession, the horror movie podcast where we talk about horror movies. And shows. I am your host, Noah Usher. With me today is. Oh, Nina. Uh, sure. Thank uh. you. And <laughs> J- J- Jeff Usher. <laughs> and I'm and... Emma LaFourcade. Oh, there we yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping you would do that. <laughs> As you may have uh, seen uh, sprinkled in with our with our conversation if you uh, did not read the title of the episode we are talking about the fall of the house of usher mike flanagan's 2023 um miniseries on netflix his last netflix yeah. thank god uh for him i mean yeah. i'm glad that he's out of there yeah right we can finally get dvd copies of uh any works he makes now yeah if they don't do a physical release of midnight mass i'm rioting though I got bad news. Get ready to riot. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's do it. I have many other reasons to riot against Netflix, too. Honestly, so, uh, do it. Always. Follow the House of Usher. Uh, the, the gist of this movie the is... movie? Show. <laughs> uh, the biggest movie you've ever seen. The eight-hour-long movie, as we all know. The thank House you, sure does you. fall. The House the sure house does fall. But does fall. Spoilers, spoiler y'all. We're not into the spoiler the section falls. yet. <laughs> Um, well, this we is know a... right at the beginning that the house falls. Yeah. So why else? Because the house was that? divided. Yeah. And it can't stand. Anyway, uh, we open up in a funeral. Roderick Usher's kids are all dead. Uh, he's having a terrible time, and he calls up uh, August Dupin, who is here. To, um, he's don't look at me like that. Dupin. <laughs> Dupin. Dupin. Yeah. It's Dupin. Whatever. It's a French name. I don't dude. care how. I don't care. 
August double. Doesn't you, matter. you tried to put a French swing on it and you just failed. So obviously, well, you, you know what? It's because some bit. people go de pain and yeah, just I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the uh, prosecuting, I was going to say plagiarizing, and that's not the right word. The prosecuting attorney in his federal court case uh, where, you know, he's being sued for uh, his legally distinct from heroin drug that he's been selling <laughs> to the American public since the 80s. Um, he sits him down in his old house and he starts to tell him about, uh, what the last week has been like for his family, uh, which has included every one of his children dying. And also, uh, we get to see a secondary timeline of him and, uh, Augie, if we could, um, back in the day, conspiring to take down Fortunato together. And then how that didn't quite work out for, uh, poor August Dupin. I said it right that time. Anyway, uh, that's the 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 big broad strokes. Cannot stress enough, we will not be covering the details of this stuff well. If you think that this sounds like a fun show, uh, we'll tell you before we get into the spoiler point. Uh, but please, for the love of God, watch the show. This yeah. is not a... Uh, none of our stuff is a good substitute for watching. No. Uh, but this one especially this is not a worse. good substitute. This is a discussion episode, first and foremost. But if you like um, American Horror Story, if you like the works of Edgar Allan Poe, if you like anything Flanagan's done before, you will absolutely love this. And I could not recommend it more. Mm -hmm. If you like Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. If you like any of... Mike Flanagan's usual returning cast. Um, I'm pretty sure literally all of them are in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to hit us all with uh, with our, our critical numbers here real quick. Oh, yeah. uh, we're critical up numbers. on all of our ratings from last episode. IMDb is a 7.9. Rotten Tomatoes is a 90%. Critical Metacritic hit. is a 7.3. <laughs> and Letterboxd is 4 out of 5. Yeah. That's the highest rank we've seen on Letterboxd in a hot second. Uh-huh. Um, we have an Ebert, obviously not from Ebert, but from Brian Tellerico, hey, uh, who all right. I cannot for the life of me remember what other movies. I think it was Halloween Ends. It was definitely Halloween Ends. Yeah. But I think there was something else other than that, because I feel like there's His for some reason. His name has popped up more than once, for yeah. sure. This guy's name has popped up a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely uh, but, read a number of things that he's written. Mm hmm. And, uh, you know, he's spoiler alert. Pretty happy with this one. What? Three and a half star or three. Ooh. Three and a half. Three stars out of four. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at the I'm looking at three slash four and in my mind is like that's that's uh three and a half. <laughs> no, it's not. That's three quarters at best. Yes. Three out of four. Okay. Um yeah. Fall of the House of Usher updates the work of Edgar Allan Poe for the era of Big Pharma, turning his most famous tales into a sprawling story of the decline of a wealthy American family. It's succession meets the telltale heart, a story of vengeance, power, betrayal, and bloody parts. Uh, it can sometimes feel simultaneously overcrowded in its cramming in of various sources and narratively thin at the same time, but Mike Flanagan's craft and his assemblage of returning performers keeps the pendulum swinging through eight grisly episodes of horror television that should appeal to any fans of The Haunting of Hill House or Midnight Mass. In a month filled with surprisingly lackluster new streaming shows and films for horror fans, it is a highlight. Uh, dropped on October 12th, 2023. So, uh, yeah, 2023 was not a hot, fresh month for uh, streaming horror. There were a lot of other things that came out, but yeah, horror was a little lackluster relatively 
in October since the rest of the year before had been so good. So, you know, that's uh, that's our Ebert. And one last hit, and then I'll shut up for a minute. Uh, we got Twitter Brandon. Twitter Brandon, I don't know if he watched this show, but Twitter Brandon loves the other ones. Um, oh. Sobbed his face off at the end of Bly Manor. Uh, mm. Sobbed his face off at Hill House. That's the right thing to do. Yeah. However, did he sob his face? Also off loves Doctor Sleep. Um, I don't want to know. Didn't see uh, because I couldn't find anything for Usher, so I just searched the name Flanagan. So all I saw was the tweets that were from about Flanagan. Oh sure, okay. But he did put out uh, this banger into the universe: Mike Flanagan versus Rob Zombie in a fight to the death for Ultimate Wife Guy in horror. What about what? Okay, yeah. What about who? Dario Argento. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. You can't defend that one. No, no, I can't. He borders right, on being no. a wife bad guy, if anything. <laughs> the line is so thin. Now but Rob and Mike are nowhere near it. Now we're no. hitting up our personal ratings, but I'm using host privilege and I am uh, sitting here crossing my arms smugly, waiting for everyone else to say their numbers. Ten. Uh, nine. I like it a lot, but not as much as Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. Not as good as Midnight Mass doesn't make it not a ten by my measure because Midnight uh, Mass is like impossible. Cu- I have a couple like... things. I have two things that make this not a ten. Sure. That we'll get into after we the break. Did <gasps> it? Um. Neither are spoilers. I could just say them. <laughs> for me, I think the watching through the show again the second time and really paying attention elevated it for me a bit. Hmm. I enjoyed it more this watch through. Catch all the foreshadowing. Lots of foreshadowing. There's just a lot of really cool, like, meta-narrative stuff Mm -hmm. that I was paying attention to more this time around. Yeah. But it does... I love, like, in the other shows, like, the emotional kind of gut punches and stuff like that. And this show doesn't have, like, those as much. Yeah. And it's not necessarily trying to, except for in maybe, like, one case. It's doing a very different thing from his previous shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, I wasn't able to emotionally connect with this one as much as I was the others. Um, And so just on, like, a personal note, I think I'm going to give it, like, an 8.8. Oh, okay. Because 9 feels too high for me and 8.5 feels too low. (laughs) That's so valid. Uh, I'm clocking in at a nine on this one. I liked it way more the second time, which I gave it a nine the first time as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think everything clicked a lot harder for me. Um, All the uh, Egypt imagery that didn't make a lot of sense to me uh, until the end the first time where it kind of all tied together. Um, Right down to like some details like, uh, you know, plaster dust on Roderick's hands in episode one in the Mm. flashback. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of that stuff works really, really well on a second watch. A lot of the uh, emotional lines that are there hit a lot smoother. Mm -hmm. Knowing where different characters are going and getting to see the seeds of those laid like early on. It's just really, really enjoyable. And I like it. Yeah. I like this one a lot. Knowing how everyone's relationships affect each other and who dies doing what um, and how that relates back to the people before, how the people before them who have died or in some cases how the people after them are going to die 
is so interesting. There's a lot of mirroring between the siblings, and I have to say that the flashback scenes in this and the um, 1979 stuff and before work so much better on a rewatch mm-hmm. for me. Absolutely, no, oh, yeah. knowing knowing where that's going and what's what that is leading to and why it's there. Um, worked way better for me the second time around. Yeah, one of the things Brian Tellerico mentioned in his review was that the flashbacks were kind of uh, wheel spinny for him. They felt like padding for the show, and he did not care for them. And he was like, I think he said, like, I get it. Like, Roderick and Madeline are evil. I don't need to know, like, too many details. Yeah, and I personally liked the flashbacks way more on a rewatch than I liked them the first time. What I'm what we're saying is Brian Tellerico rewatch House Usher please. <laughs> he probably won't change his mind. We know you're listening, Brian. Brian. Hey Brian, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, I don't know. On, also, hey, Daryl. <laughs> on my first watch, I was a little confused by I don't know, sometimes the lack of information in certain flashbacks, but I kind of felt like that was sort of the point, right? Like you're Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be like sickeningly aware the entire time that something is being kept from you and it keeps like coming back to remind you there is something that you're not being told here. Mm-hmm. And then like also the whole time they keep like, you know, showing you shots of that wall and you kind of know from the beginning there's going to be some significance to this <laughs> wall. I look at that. I'm like, there's a cask in there. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> it's you one of my finest long ones. before it ever is actually suggested that there's a dude there. Right. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I kind of felt like that worked pretty good on the first watch personally, but I don't know. That's me. I definitely think it worked better on the second one. Like it didn't mm-hmm. not work, but on the second watch through, it was like, um, specifically the relationship between August and Roderick in the framing device works a lot better if you already know exactly what they went through yeah. when they were younger. Sure. Um, because it is written really well to be faithful to their relationship that we haven't seen the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it I love really how good. Flanagan does that because he he's always done that. Everyone's relationships are what they are. And when you find out more about them, it only makes things make sense retroactively. There's no like, th- there's no like stating things to the camera for, for the audience's benefit when it comes to why is their relationship this way? There's no, do you remember when our mother, this, that, the other thing? It's like, no, they know what happened to their mother. The only time that we find find out this information is when a character does and I or yeah. or when we see a flashback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love that. Um yeah, my my one big complaint is I really don't like it when um characters in media are credited with the work of a real life person. I don't like how Roderick kept quoting Poe as though he had written it. Um or characters kept quoting Poe as if it was their original thoughts. Um, I know that that's just kind of part of the show. Uh, it feels like Poe doesn't exist in this universe almost. I um, imagine... The same way that vampires don't exist in Midnight yeah, Mass. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I imagine <laughs> you feel the same way about Bly Manor just after being more familiar with, uh, what, what's his, Henry James? Is that who? Do characters, or though, like, again, like, outright... Like in Haunting of Hill House does the same thing with uh, Shirley Jackson as well. Yeah, I just, with Roderick it's distracting because nobody yeah. talks the way that Poe talks. Nobody nobody is just spouting Poe Poe's poetry just to out loud. True. And it, whenever he does it, it it brings the scenes to halts a lot of the time in a way that's frustrating and Poe is so well known. 
Right, yeah. That it's like, no one's going to believe that Roderick fucking Usher came up with that is my thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when Madeline quotes something about um, uh, something about death at some point in the boardroom that is a Poe quote, I'm like, that still does not fit with her usual like dialogue structure. So it's yeah. still very obviously a quote. But it feels like, A, like she's kind of quoting something and B, like she is posing this big philosophical question to the boys in the room. So it doesn't feel as out of place. But when, and Post's not a great person. We're not going to get into that. But when Roderick Usher uses Annabelle Lee to shut his wife down when she's asking questions... Um, I'm just like, okay, that's fine. Um, it made me cringe a little bit. It just continued to make me cringe. I'm sure that I might feel the same way if I read like the Bly Manor stuff or Hill House, but it Perhaps definitely, not, definitely hit it's, for me. It's certainly not in done one. in those the same way that it is done in this. Because it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Because there's no, the works of Edgar Allan Poe don't exist in this in this universe, yeah. but also Roger Gusher didn't publish a, a book of poems that is like this. He's just quoting them at Augie. Yeah, <laughs> and they, Mike, Mike kind of tries to like, uh, I don't know, maybe lampshade it a little bit by having Verna have that line about how in the other life he would have been a poet with no money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And having Augie be like, can, do you, can you shut the fuck up whenever yeah, he starts it, it comes across like he's poetry. just making a point about how incredibly, like, you know, self-centered Roderick is, right? That he thinks the world can just stop for him to recite a poem if he wants to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I think the frustration for me is just that Roderick isn't a poet. He's a terrible, horrible person. And the works of Poe are obviously good enough that you based a whole TV show off them. So why are you giving credit for these things to this well, character he was supposed to be a poet he was gonna be a poet if he didn't make yeah. the deal with with verna but he did but he did <laughs> but even back anyway. then like he had like a poetic yeah like mindset yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I, I understand just the issue with it. I, 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 I get yeah. it. I get it. I, I just, every time that it happened, it made me, it took me out of the world that we were in and it made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, not like in a like, oh, this is making me like feel gross or whatever. It just, it was cringe is the only word yeah. that I can use to describe it. For me, my, yeah. my only issue with the show is that there's just moments in the ending that come across as, to me, a little bit hokey in the way that Mike's endings frequently tend to be. Yeah. So if we I were love to... a Stephen King fan, sad yeah. face. <laughs> Midnight Mass, he doesn't do this at all. But yes. in, in this one, in Hill House, in Bly Manor, it's just, you know, he he gets a little hokey at the end. He's just, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's it really lands. He can do it. Like, yeah. you know. after the spoiler break. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we got some content warnings. We and by some, do. I mean, we have more content warnings than we've had to date. Uh, but also, this is an eight-hour like program. There's a you lot. Know, there's just there's a lot of it. Once I feel like last time we had a big list, we had to remind people that sometimes the concentration of it isn't as high as it might be implied by the number of content warnings. Yeah. Um, same kind of deal for this one. It's spread out over eight hours, but there are some through-line ones that, um, like the the drug abuse angle and stuff like that the big pharma shit that's yeah. the through line of the whole show so be aware of that one going in but the uh, the rest of them uh in no particular order are as follows we have suicide and attempted suicide we have animal abuse and animal death we have gore we have domestic abuse 
memory issues, manipulation, uh, rape mention, torture, medical abuse, and hallucinations. Um, so there's a there's a lot of stuff, and some for the for the most part, it's just each episode kind of sticks with its own theme that you can kind of see where it's coming from pretty early on in the episode. Um, and then other stuff um, hits multiple episodes. So, uh, yes. And if you see something that looks like it's going to start to be a theme and you're like, maybe they won't show much of it. I'm just, nope. they will <laughs> specifically they will. talking about the medical abuse. If you can see where it's going and you think to yourself, I don't really like this, but maybe it won't be too much of a focus. It will be. It is. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mike does not yeah. hold back on this one. Yeah. I mean, this entire family is just like this family basically exists in real life. I forget their name, but there's a family that's largely credited with causing the opioid epidemic. Oh, yeah. And who uh, own their terrible and whatnot, which Ligadone is definitely not yeah. based off Oxycontin at all. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a made up fake drug. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Wink, so, Emma, wink. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of questions I have for you that I'm going to save for, you know, later in the episode. But I'm a, a so question excited I'm, for you to ask me questions. Well, I'll ask you a question now, then. Just, just one, oh. just one. Emma, was this show, if you don't mind me asking, scary? And if so, could you give us a rating on a scale of, shall we say, 1 to 10? Oh, wow. What a great well thought out and research question thank you thank you thank you, thank you. get this guy I would on say this show has some jump scares ish kind of yeah mm -hmm. and but overall it's just very much a dark dreary and kind of like upsetting show mm. it um, is a very upsetting show at times yeah looking back on it and as i think about the show I don't think about it being like overly like scary, hmm. but it is very kind of depressing and drab mm -hmm. and like dark. And as you revisit and think about the various things that have happened in the show, it's pretty intense. So like for like a scary, I would give it maybe a two or a three, but in just like a kind of dark, and kind of upsetting and like that sort of nature rating, which I feel like is potentially closely tied to a scary rating, but like slightly different for this show, I would give it like a five. Hmm. It's a feel yeah. bad watch at times. It's a feel bad watch. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And that's I th no. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about the. It is. I'm thinking about what Noah was just saying about the ending, and you know. There's an attempt to make it not a feel-bad watch. It does not succeed. I think that any of the positive monologues that we get near the end to try and be like, we've offset all the bad done is completely negated by Madeline's final monologue. Yes. Madeline's final monologue is so devastating in what it says yes. about the state of the world right now that mm. nothing that is like the, but we can change things feels so weak and I wish he hadn't even tried. Yeah, it's, it's rough. And I think that's partially why I struggle with the show and like connecting to it on an emotional level. When I was young, I was a very angry person and I had like anger issues and stuff. And I've overcome that. And like, I'm not 
an angry person anymore, I would say. I'm a very, like, chill person. But I like to be emotional. I like to be sad and, like, watch media that makes me sad and makes me feel things. And a lot of Mikey Mike's shows up to this point make you feel very deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, They're very profound. Um, They're very, like, romantic and sweet at times. Yeah. And also just really kind of sad and unfortunate and tragic while also having this kind of, like, horrifying undertones. And it's great, and I love it. And this show, I feel like the driving force of emotion is, like, anger. Like, somebody who really hates the rich and really wants to see rich people suffer, this show is, like, great for them. (laughs) And I don't love the rich. I don't like them. Uh, I would like the rich to kind of like have some downfall and uh, love to see their houses fall, you know? Yeah. But like watching them in a show where I'm just like, I just feel bad. I just feel bad watching, (laughs) you know? I find it fun. Yeah. That's me. I think there's a balance there. I think that, I think that it's well done and we can get into this given what the show is saying about, um, generational abuse and um, individual choice mm-hmm. um, that like makes it a balance of being like, man, but this will never happen to like real people. And also like, oh, but I want, am I allowed to feel sympathy for these characters? And the show definitively says yes, um, yeah. while also not pulling punches on how terrible they are. Um, a lot of it is just feeling like they're pathetic, which... Yeah. I like that. I like how they're portrayed as we still have sympathy for them, but because they're like pathetic. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to get to talk about it. Um, so let's get into the specifics. Quick episode by episode summary real fast, and then we'll just start talking. So episode one, a midnight dreary. We open up, um, as I mentioned before, at a funeral. Uh, Roderick Usher has lost all six of his children, um, which... Just to hit the names real quick, we got Frederick and Tamerlane, his two um, prime children, I guess I would say. <laughs> and then... <laughs> the two he had before he made the deal. Yeah, his two uh, pre-deal with the Verna children. Only two with And then we have well, which is a, the yeah, four bastards, thing. Victorine, Napoleon, Leo, um, Camille, uh, Prospero, uh, also known as Harry. So yeah, that's that's our four kids: um, Freddie, Tammy, Vic, Leo, Camille, and Perry. And in the span of two weeks, they are all dead. And the the kickoff event of this was in the courtroom when August pointed at the Usher family, saying, "I have an inside source that is going to tear this whole shit down." We later find out he was lying. Uh, womp, you know, womp. because. He knew he couldn't get the ushers if he played ball straight on, so he stooped down to their level, and unfortunately, the derision that this caused in the family tipped those dominoes right over. We later find out um, it would have happened anyway. Um, This is not August's fault. He might have kicked off the specific events, but the deaths, as I will uh, later reveal, were not him. Um, 
Well, I guess actually I'll reveal right now. Come to think of it, I don't know why I'm saying later. Yeah. Uh, we have, as before mentioned, two timelines. Um, the flashback timeline. Uh, episode one opens up at the end of it, um, pretty much at the end of both stories. The final episode of the show kind of caps off the very endings. But, you know, uh, Roderick and his sister Madeline walk into a bar dressed as, um, what is it, uh, Gatsby and who? Daisy. Gatsby and Daisy. And uh, they are just, they're laying low at the end of their uh, evening on New Year's 1980 because they they need to make sure that they're seen. And they end up at just this little corner bar where uh, Verna is there. Verna is our our um, devil deal maker of the show. She's not the devil. Uh, she's not stealing their souls because she's like, they don't exist. Ha ha ha. You silly fools. But she is here to make deals with uh, rich and powerful or to be rich and powerful people because she likes to see what happens. And her deal that she cuts them? Eh, when, uh, when Roderick was going to die at a natural point in his life anyway... The whole bloodline goes away. So uh, you'll live your whole life. You'll have a great time. And when it's time for you to die, you take it all with you. Night ends for them. And they are convinced that it was maybe just a weird dream. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they were high. Who knows? But that was a, a long time ago. And they haven't really thought about that. Um, now, unfortunately for uh, Roderick, his kids are not really uh, all on the same page. And nothing could be more emblematic of that than the Mask of the Red Death, which is Perry's episode. Episode two, um, every one of the, Ro the Roderick, <laughs> every, one, <laughs> every one of the Rodericks, all the Usher children are given the opportunity to have their nest egg investment. They come, they pitch an idea to Roderick and Madeline, and they will give them money to kick off their own company and start their own thing. You know, that's like, their whole thing, because Roderick wants to make sure that because he was abandoned as a bastard child growing up, he didn't want that to happen to his kids. He wanted them brought into the family business and to kick off properly. And Perry's best idea is um, it's so bad. An orgy. And his presentation is terrible as well. Yeah, he's just like, uh, Glenn Levitt has opened up their uh, vaults to us. And also you can get blowjobs in the corner. Well, I mean, and he talks about how, like, incredibly exclusive the club is going to be, and it sounds like they couldn't possibly have enough people to actually support it financially. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where, is it a cool idea? Maybe. But is it an idea he's thought through? Not at all. He's just up his and ass And Roderick and Madeline both 100% see this coming. Now... For Perry's episode, he's he doesn't take this well. He's actually uh, very unhappy that he got shut down. So he's going to prove to everyone that uh, he's actually that and then some by setting up a uh, a special orgy. He's just his whole thing was just going to be huge entry fee, huge membership fee, uh, and the idea is that overnight he's going to make what is it like twenty million dollars. Something like that. Yeah, he's trying to charge like ten or twenty thousand dollars at the door, and it's like complete secrecy and anonymity. And mm -hmm. yeah, everyone checks their electronics before they go in. the The link doesn't get clicked in five minutes; it disappears. And yeah, very like for high society people who just want to blow off some steam and have fun. He's got the party angle down. Unfortunately, short sighted Perry is using this as his moment to just blackmail people. He has cameras set up all over the place. And his idea is that this, and I'll, I'll get into my theories of why I said that later. Cause that doesn't make a lot of sense until I talk about yeah. it. Apologies. Um, he has cameras set up all over the place 
And he wants to use that to blackmail people. That's where the real money from his idea is coming from. Uh, the bad news, though, is he decides to show up to his first ever meeting at Fortunato. And the meeting is about condemned uh, medical factories. And Testing because he's not paying attention to anything, he sees this building that he thinks is going to be great for his rave orgy. And that's it. Uh, so he ends up going there, tapping into the uh, closed uh, water lines, uh, big tanks of not water up on the roof that's full of acid, and he kills everyone at his party. In, but right, with the exception of his sister-in-law, who he invited. Um, because he's a piece of shit. Maura... Two seconds. What is her name? It starts with an M, and I feel like an idiot. Maury. It, Maury. Maury! Thank you! I'm like, not Morel. That's the mushroom. I'm very confused. Maury is short for Maury. something that I do not remember what it is. They just call her Maury for most of the show. Uh, Maury is Frederick's wife, um, just for some context. Oldest son's wife, Maury, showed up to youngest son, Perry's um, orgy. And this was not taken well, if you can believe well, it. Well, I suppose it uh, Also, <laughs> let's see, Madeline, uh, an, a subline in this is that she's trying to kick off the development of AI. She's so sure that if she just gets her uh, all of her algorithms in a line, that she can really just crack consciousness. And that's... You know, the idea that you can live forever if you can just have an AI modeled after you is her thing. So keep that one tucked away in the old uh, dome piece. Now, um, episode three, Murder in the Rue Morgue. Um, Arthur Pym, Mark Hamill's character, is the lawyer for the Usher family. Uh, he has a lot of power, and uh, some of the power that he has is being allowed to go onto this crime scene at the medical facility slash orgy before the cops are allowed to go in there. Um, oh, I forgot to mention Verna. Verna showed up toward the end of the party. Um, and in true Mask of Red Death fashion, uh, told all of the wait staff to leave so that they would not get killed when the acid sprinklers went off. Also gave Maury a chance to leave, but she did not take it. Also gave, gave uh, Pro, Perry a yeah. chance to call off the party. And he's like, Haha, you're so hot and you're crazy. I'll come see you later. This is crazy. <laughs> Uh, Murder in the Rue Morgue. Uh, Arthur Pym enters the building, uh, finds Maury alive, and finds Verna's mask on Perry's body. Confiscates the mask, gets Verna, or gets Maury to the hospital. Boom. Saving the family. Uh, Camille is the child who is given the job to spin information. She's the, the brains on the PR campaign of the Usher family. So... Uh, Perry's not even like dead for very long before she's already coming up with all kinds of ideas of how they can try and spin some public sympathy out of his death. Uh, however, she also has a big, uh, big issue with her sister Victorine, uh, because Victorine is working on a heart mesh. It's a smart mesh. You put it around your heart. It's like a, a pacemaker, but like way, way cooler because it will learn how your heart works and you know, keep your heart pumping so you never have to worry about it is the basic idea of it. However, she's also doing uh, chimp experimentation. And Camille knows that if she's reporting a bunch of this stuff, there has to be something going on under the table because there's no way Victorine is keeping everything above board. And she's not. A lot of chimps are dying. And there's no evidence of what happens to them. She'll shave a fresh chimp's chest and cut a incision and sew it back together and pretend that this is a chimp with the heart mesh and that everything is cool and works. Unfortunately though, 
Uh, we get our second appearance of Verna, unfortunately for Camille, not for us. Um, second and third appearance, uh, because she shows up to uh, tempt Victorine with a human trial, which she is not ready to do yet. And then she also shows up as a security guard telling uh, Camille, hey, maybe don't go in the monkey room. How about maybe maybe you should go home, actually. But Camille doesn't listen and ends up getting mauled by a chimp. Yeah. Let's see. Um, oh, Leo was in this episode, too. I forgot this is the kickoff to Black Cat. Mm, yeah. Um, Leo is the pretty boy of the Usher family and Camille's favorite guy to put in front of uh, conversations because his whole thing is he split off from the family business immediately with his grant and started uh, a media empire as a video game guy. Uh, he produces games. He has people write about games. You know, that that's like his whole thing. Um he also does a lot of drugs. Like a and lot, in a, a lot. Uh, Yeah, like a lot, a lot of drugs. Um, let's see. It's really hard to just sum up real quick. Sorry. Uh, he believes he kills his partner Julius's cat in a um, drug stupor because he's uh, blacking out the night before his big uh, presentation that Camille has set up because, you know, his his brother just died. And he's not having a good time. Yeah, they all have various parts of the the press mess that they all have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, episode four, The Black Cat. Leo is trying desperately to find an identical cat to replace the cat that he killed, you know, or believes he killed, because uh, it is later revealed he did not kill the cat. That While there is some really violent, uh, messy gore shit with fake cat, um, real Pluto is not dead, so... Smiley face. No need to worry about that, but do worry about the animal <laughs> harm because it's still like it's not still fun shown. to watch. And but a lot of other die. dead animals in this episode as well. Yep. Uh, the cat kills those ones, though, uh, and also attacks Leo because this was Leo's chance to do the right thing and admit to Jules that he's like, hey, I'm sorry, man. I, I don't know what happened to your cat. Uh, here's a new cat. Or I think when I was high, I killed your cat. I'm really sorry. Uh, I'll stop doing drugs, you know, something like that. But he doesn't do that, unfortunately, and just keeps spiraling, especially after finding out Camille died. He's having a very, very bad time. Um, let's see. Oh, Morella is her name. That's why I was thinking Morels. Oh, yes. Uh, Maury. So um, Pim found the burner phone that Perry gave to Maury and is trying to get Frederick to open it because he needs to find out what's on that phone. It's the only phone that one of the kids has that he doesn't have the code to. And he needs to he needs to get all this stuff figured out uh, before it's too late, you know, just in case. Verna ends up coming up to Leo's apartment. She's the one that sold him um, replacement Pluto uh, because he's like, hey, you got to get rid of this cat because I hate this cat so much because it hates me. Um, and after a uh, evening of continuing to spiral out of control, he ends up accidentally falling off his balcony to his death. Episode five, Telltale Heart. Uh, surviving Usher Children, I'm just going to start reading from the wiki more directly because I think this is just going to be faster if I just read these. Okay. Um, the surviving Usher Children devolve into jealousy over their father's favoritism. They have a whole talk at a bar about it uh, because they're just they're just not down with this. But the two like official born Usher children are still alive and there is a big wedge being driven between them and Vic, who is the last of the bastards standing. Um during this time, Frederick has discharged Maury uh, from the hospital, which is way too early since all of her skin was burned off by the acid rain. 
uh, and has her in the house. He is uh, having a very bad time assuming that, you know, this was a long running affair that she was having. And he's just having a really hard time coping right now. Um, Let's see. Uh, Tammy and her husband, Bill, a.k.a. Built, the fitness guru. Uh, He's a whole YouTube (laughs) sensation. He's just a YouTube fitness and wellness guy. And the face of her product she's going to be pitching, Goldbug, which is the goop knockoff Nina mentioned earlier. Uh, They break up because Tammy is spiraling also really hard. She hasn't slept in like a week and she's starting to like really check in and out of um, active consciousness through the day while she's working on things. Roderick and Victorine have been meeting up multiple times over the show so far because he's he is convinced that if he has the heart mesh working in his heart, then he's not going to die because in his mind, as long as his heart um, is fixed because he has, what is that, Catacil? Catacil. Yeah, Catacil. Which is what? It's a specific kind of dementia that's caused by a specific kind of irregular heartbeat. Hey, so just on the off chance that any of you consider me to be a, uh, an accurate source of information for some reason, um, that's completely wrong. I don't know why I thought it was caused by an irregular heartbeat, but it is actually, Catacil is actually the most common form of hereditary stroke disorder. It is part of a family of disorders called leukodystrophies, if you want to look that up. The most common clinical manifestations are migraine headaches and transient ischemic attacks or strokes. They typically hit between 40 and 50 years of age, but they have been documented within a wider range from 30 to 70 it is caused not by irregular heartbeats but rather by um or what what hypertrophy of smooth muscle tissue in blood vessels and it presents with just things like uh yeah migraines and strokes and then eventually it progresses to subcortical dementia something like that and that's one of the reasons he's really excited about the heart mesh is because in theory uh, to him, this will solve all of his problems and he's not going to have to suffer the side effects of uh, what also killed their mother. Uh, unfortunately, though, uh, Vic is also having a really bad time. Uh, Vic's girlfriend, you see, she is the doctor and the mind behind the heart mesh. But Vic wants to make sure this happened and forged um, Allie's signature on a whole lot of medical paperwork, um, which is mirrored in the flashback. But we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Um, where she, uh, signed her, uh, sign her sign off on a lot of very sketchy practices. And when Allie's looking to go break up with her and leave and tell the world about how shitty the Usher family is, Vic throws a, um, like a bookend at her head and kills her. And in that moment also cuts her open and installs the heart mesh on her heart to try and, uh, you know, bring her back. And, over the course of the episode, because this is the telltale heart, you see, she keeps hearing the uh, sound of the heart mesh pumping, but um, which ends up culminating at the end of the episode when Roderick comes over one last time to say, hey, honey, it is really important that uh, you fix the heart mesh problem because I need it yesterday. Uh, unfortunately, she is like, you can you hear the sound? She turns her music off and he can hear the sound of the heart mesh going. And that's because Allie is in the other room with her chest cut open and the heart mesh out on display. And upon realizing what happened, Vic um, kills herself. Now there's a, because of Verna being present, um, she's been on camera and Arthur Pym, fantastic lawyer that he is, lawyer, hitman, fix it guy, 
um, is like, hey, who is this? Do you have any idea who this is? This person is not on payroll. <laughs> this Yeah, this person's not on payroll. Why is she the security guard? Why is uh, her file at Vic's house? Why was she at the orgy? Why uh, is this photo on Leo's phone of um, her at the cat shelter? They, they can't uh, confirm that it was her at the orgy. They just know that there's a masked woman. And oh, good, good it, it's like yeah. a whole thing when he's they talking assume about it's it. the same person. Yeah, he eventually. says that uh, everyone that they talk to who saw her says the exact same thing. Just red cloak, killer body. That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but now we're at episode six, Goldbug, um, where Arthur has put together that he's pretty sure that this is the same lady the entire time uh, dating back to the early 1900s. Um, because he's finding pictures of her with a lot of like powerful families through the years who, um, for the most part, uh, I believe the examples are all people who have had pretty nasty public downfalls or things have like shaken their, uh, pretty solid grasp on where they got to, or they are young enough money that like, you can assume that's the point that they're heading to. Um, which is the thing that has convinced Madeline that this is a hundred percent a real problem. And also the bartender from back in 1980, uh, because she remembers that way better than Roderick does because uh, they have elected not to talk about it. But Madeline's smart and doesn't just forget things that she's chosen not to talk about, unlike Roderick. That's mean. Roderick has dementia. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Firstly, face the face the mic when you say that shit. No. <laughs> Secondly, you know that's not the point. <laughs> Um, but we're, we're here to talk about Goldbug, Tammy's special, uh, special thing. Uh, thing I haven't mentioned about Tammy is that she and her, um, now ex-husband Bill, um, had a whole, like, prostitute thing going on where Tammy does not like to get physically involved with everything, so she outsources, to quote Roderick, outsources intimacy to, uh, the prostitute, who this time around happens to be Verna. Um, well, not this time around, a little while ago happens to be Verna and has been appearing in the background of a bunch of Bill's like workout videos as like a special prize winner or just maybe out on the street way too close and kind of showing herself near the family, which Tammy's not okay with. And she is also convinced that Bill is trying to replace her with Verna. And in her, um, in the state that she's in, while she thinks that Bill is trying to do that, she says, I'm going to replace you. You were just an asset to me. I own your name. I own your channel. I know your. Ho- I own your whole identity. Um, so they end up splitting off right before the gold bug launch. Let's see. Um, on the other side of things with Frederick, uh, Morella is kind of like starting to come back too. And Frederick is not okay with that. So he has uh, some uh, nightshade extract, right? Yeah, and this is another one of those kind of running theme, running threads through a number of the stories. Uh, It's like a lot of uh, Victorine's experiments were only as successful as they were because they used this experimental nightshade derivative that is uh, apparently Mm -hmm. like a really strong paralytic, but it's the kind of really strong paralytic that you only see in movies where you are immobilized and completely aware the entire time. This is something that, so far as I have ever been aware, does not exist in real life. 
but it's yeah. always name dropped in movies and stuff. And lots of times they'll like give it a name that belongs to an actual drug that has a completely different effect from that. And I, Mike kind of like puts in a little joke about that when Frederick's talking about it. He's just like, yeah, this stuff works really good for this. It's the only stuff that does this kind of thing. And he like just mm-hmm. doesn't know what it's even called. <laughs> Actually, that's like yeah. an on-running bit with Frederick. He doesn't know what he doesn't anything's know called. Jack shit about anything, yeah. When uh, Dupin says that there's an informant in the family, Frederick can't stop saying that there's a mole in the family, which uh, both Perry and uh, his daughter Lenore are like, it's not a mole, actually. <laughs> a mole is someone uh, it's from informant. the outside. This is an informant. <laughs> Frederick also has these, like... Every other character in the show has monologues. Frederick has like anti-monologues where he talks and manages not to say anything at all for three minutes straight. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's really great. Um, but he is continuing to drug his wife uh, and not take care of her. This is where the uh, the a lot of domestic and medical abuse kicks in. Yes. And the uh, this is I'm going to I'm going to put a little gold medal on this one as hardest to watch storyline of the show. Uh, it was such a satisfying I think, conclusion. A very satisfying conclusion, but it is a very difficult to watch storyline uh, as things go. Very much. Um, we're at the Goldbug launch now, and uh, Tammy's really just having a terrible time. She hallucinates that a sex tape of her, Bill, and one of the hookers is played on the big screen TV uh, while she's trying to do the Goldbug launch, and she and the presentation thinking that. The presentation is the presentation is going incredibly rough before that even starts happening. Like it's already devastating. But she keeps thinking that Vern is sitting right behind Juno. The incredibly I forgot to mention Juno exists at all. uh, Roderick's incredibly young wife, like um, Perry's age wife. Um, Really unfortunate. Um, So she throws a microphone stand at Verna, but just clocks Juno instead uh, Madeline, however, also saw Verna this time, and while trying to go and get her, gets right up to her, grabs her, and she turns to dust, uh, which uh, Nina has told me is a Macbeth reference. Oh. What, what the reference is is the way that she rubs her hands afterwards. Oh. Uh, well, oh okay, still a Macbeth yeah. reference. Yeah. I wouldn't know that because I don't know Jack about Shakespeare, but that's not the point. Well, except for what's in Sense of Anarchy. There's more Macbeth references throughout, but I will talk about that when I get to my fun facts later. Cool. Uh, when we finally get home with Tamerlan, uh, she keeps seeing Verna through the mirrors of her gigantic apartment. This is my favorite scene in the whole show. <laughs> and she's smashing mirrors while Verna's trying to tell her, maybe you should call Bill back and uh, settle things with him amicably. Because, um, you know, Tammy's realizing that maybe Bill wasn't the problem this whole time. And maybe she was lightly the problem. And, you know, stuff like that. Um, unfortunately... She instead elects to attack Verna uh, by smashing the mirror above her bed, falling down onto her bed again after smashing it and being uh, decapitated by a big ass mirror shard. And the shot sits on it for Um, a minute as well. It's incredible. I love it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Nina described this as Mike redoing Oculus, but in the outside world instead of in a closed um, system. I kind of see it. Mm hmm. See, episode seven, Pit and the Pendulum. Um, You may have been uh, counting. We're down to our last sibling. uh, And it's Freddy's turn to bite the dust. Finally. Um, Roderick has been declining in health over the course of this show. And Madeline has made the decision it's time to push the board to elect her CEO. And 
bump Roderick out kind of as a as a mercy killing situation, so to speak. She's like, he's going anyway. I'm going to live forever. So, you know, maybe I should be in charge instead. And Frederick is their uh, their big swing vote who needs to be there to make sure things happen. Frederick, on the other hand, is uh, in a miserable state. He went to visit Leo during Black Cat because he's like, hey, I'm just really nervous and I need some cocaine to even me out. Can I have cocaine? And <laughs> has been basically snorting straight out of this giant bag of coke that um, Leo tossed to him the entire episode. Just like <laughs> mountains of the shit. Like call this guy Tony Montana. Yeah. Except Tony Montana could never keep up with Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> um. He goes off on this like bullshit speech about being the uh, the usher ascendant uh, and the uh, the face of the company, the uh, the crown prince of America type shit, because he really thinks he's that important. Meanwhile, Roderick's been yelling at him because his one job this entire show has been to tear down the medical building that Perry died at. Um, and he was supposed to have done that months ago, maybe even years ago. And he just has not made it happen. So Roderick's like, make it happen or I know that I can never trust you with anything. Uh, so after pulling out his wife's teeth, Verna decides, you know what? That's enough of this. And she has him load up his bag of Coke with, uh, the stuff that's the best <laughs> stuff at doing this stuff. And he goes to the construction yard where he ends up, um, you know, he wants to go in and just see real quick if he can find, uh, the wedding ring, but he also wants to piss on the floor where Perry died because, you know, real class act, our guy here, Freddie. However, he also uh, snorts a huge pile of cocaine, which is loaded with the uh, nightshade extract or whatever, um, collapses onto the floor. And Verna comes in saying, you know what? You were really something special. And I mean that in a bad way. Uh, so that's why I directly intervened. And I'm going to be happy that you're dead. Love it so much. Um, anyway, have fun. <laughs> Not many people get to see the inside of a building as it comes down. And he gets cut in half by a big uh, swinging pendulum, if you will. Whoa. Uh, then we're at the last episode, The Raven, the culmination of all the stories. Um, we see that uh, Juno has decided to part ways with Roderick because she wants to get off of Ligodone. Um, that's why they were together. He was or she was like his perfect case of someone who could take. What is it? Fifteen hundred milligrams Just of Ligodone daily amounts of it with, without any deleterious uh, allegedly effects. no issues. Yeah. Exactly. And meanwhile, she's like, this is more like heroin than any other drug I've ever been on. Hey, yo, what the fuck? I would like to stop, please. And he throws such a fit about it because he's like, do you know what that would look like for the company if my own wife stopped using my drug during the trial and all my kids are dead? Come on now, read the room. And she's like, all right, asshole, and separates and decides to get clean. Can I say something that's really bugged me about this storyline? It would look great for Roderick if she was able to just stop taking it. Right? Mm -hmm. It would look so good for him. What the fuck is he talking it. about? Yeah. Just let her go off of it. Yeah. I was thinking that the whole goddamn time. But he's too much of a piece of Except shit. Except for one fateful thing. Not really, because it takes three years and it's extremely... He like, could lie about it. He do. could just be like, oh, see, my wife just stopped taking Ligodone and she's fine. I even encouraged yeah. her to stop it because I knew it would be so little of a deal and then let her get private rehab behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Mads would have told him to do that, but Mads didn't because know Because Mads is on. smart and Roderick is not. Well, yeah, because she's the one who makes all the real decisions. 
Uh, unfortunately, this is also the episode where we find out that Lenore is also going to die. When Verna said the Usher bloodline, she meant the Usher bloodline, not just his kids, not just him and Mads. The entire Usher bloodline is gone. And this is really, really sad. However, because Verna did the right thing and called the police to rescue... Lenore. L I'm sorry, because Lenore did the right thing and called the police to rescue her mom uh, from, you know, Freddy's torture room. Um, Verna says, you know what? You did the right thing and I really hate killing kids, so I'm going to have you go out quietly here. She tells her that uh, Maury goes on to make the Lenore Foundation a foundation for, like, women's care and stuff like that that will help... Uh, victims of domestic abuse and that over like five years they save millions of people too many to count and that it's like a very net good thing in the world and she's like you know it really sucks that you have to die but I wanted you to know that you did make an impact and thumbs up sorry gives her a little touch on the forehead and she passes away uh, the most peacefully of any of the kids in the show and Mike has um, said that this is the manner of death that Verna more or less is offering to each of them when she tries to yep. convince them that there is a way to make it a little bit easier for themselves. And all of mm -hmm. them just chose not to take that option, except for Frederick, who was not given the option. And she instead said, yes, I did this on purpose for you specifically because you suck specifically. Die and next to a puddle yeah. of your own piss. <laughs> I'm going to real quick. We'll hit the the flashback timeline, yeah. which it's going to be really quick. Yeah. Roderick gets a job at Fortunato with Madeline. They both work in the mailroom. Excuse me. They both work in the mailroom, and it's just not a uh, not a great job. He goes upstairs to pitch Ligadone to uh, Rufus Griswold, the current CEO of Fortunato, and he pitches it too good. And Rufus is like, "Hey, that was a great plan." It's my idea now, though, because I bought the company just like you told me to. And since the drug was developed at that company, it's my drug now. I just made a boatload. Thanks, buddy. Here, have 500 bucks. You deserve it. Buy yourself an air conditioner. Peace. Um, not really going great for them. However, Dupin is in this timeline, too. Dupin, sorry. Dupin is in this timeline as well. Uh, he has been investigating a bunch of medical malpractice suits from Fortunato, which leads him right to Roderick's door because... Roderick's name has been uh, put on an awful lot of official medical paperwork as a co-signer representing the company that is basically it's just he was there to verify that any of the people who quote unquote volunteered for the Fortunato drug trial were uh, capable and of sound mind when they did so. He was not there for that. So uh, uh, that's why August comes to visit him. They make the decision and by they I mean um, Madeline makes the decision. <laughs> To get Roderick in on this because she's like, yeah, you're going to make Griswold think that eating shit is your favorite thing. And you're going to just you, you just love eating a big old bowl of shit right out of his hand. And then we're going to get him. And you think that the way they're going to get him is by going through this big like lawsuit situation and getting the company taken down. But no, instead, Roderick pulls the Uno reverse card and eats another big bowl of shit. And the company's like, oh my God, this guy's the coolest guy we've ever had in our lives. Rufus, this guy you found, he's great. And Rufus is like, yeah, this was uh, me and his plan the entire time, actually. Uh, we both planned it together. It's important to clarify, he doesn't eat a bowl of shit. What he does is he shows up to the, like, 
you know, thing he's supposed to oh, testify yeah. for. And then instead mm-hmm. says, that's not a forged signature. That's my actual signature. This company has never done anything wrong. And this investigator mm-hmm. guy has been showing up at my house every night and he won't stop yeah. harassing me. I only showed up to tell you that his behavior is inappropriate and you should get him out of here. Yep. Uh, which and then he gets destroys August's reputation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but he's let out pretty much right away because Fortunato is like, hey, we like you, Roddy. Come to our come to our Christmas party. You were invited already, but you can come now as a guest of honor. <laughs> um, Griswold is showing him off to the entire company saying this is the guy that saved our asses. Isn't he so cool? I told the board and the shareholders about how cool you are. And Madeline's like, all right, cool. The time has come. Hey, drink this Amontillado and meet me in the basement. And Rufus is like, I love Amontillado. And he drinks it and ends up in the basement. And if you've ever uh, seen the internet, you know all the jokes about this fine cask of wine in this pit in my basement that uh, is brick upable. <laughs> and he gets bricked up in the basement. And after they lock him up down there, they're like, well, he's going to die. We should uh, not reappear at the main party. We should instead go to a tiny neighborhood bar where we can be seen and noticed but not scrutinized. And that's where they meet Verna. And Verna cuts them the great deal of you'll live to the end of your natural life, 40, 50 years, something like that. And you're not going to have any any issues with the law ever. You're never going to see a single consequence for your actions. And then when you would have died anyway, um, everything's done. The, the whole thing comes down with you. You will never see an ounce of consequence. Smiley face. And they both go, <laughs> yeah, I'd do that. And now here we are at the end where he's confessing the entire situation to August and the show ends. We did it. We did we it. Made it. That house finally fell. The house finally the, the fell. The house does collapse on Roderick and Madeline. Like, yep. It's literally the not house, August. August the gets out. They, on, uh, yeah, Roderick. Yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. house that the interview is happening in is the house that Roderick and Madeline grew up in, and it collapses on them, killing them. Yeah. Now I would Gosh, like to. What, what more could we say about this? An show? awful lot. I, oh, think. I got so much. Apparently, <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about Roderick real quick because could Roderick. I, oh yeah. Could I interject? Please do. Um, so I think another good baseline we could do for the mm. show. Uh, in our discussion of the show is as Nina is our Poe expert as the only one that's really familiar with the Poe stories. Um, the Poe Keeper, Poe Keepsy, one might say. The, the Poe Keepsy <laughs> or Poe Could you give us a like quick rundown of some of like the major stories that are featured in the show? Sure. There's um, a few post stories, and then there's also some uh, extra stuff that's kind of drizzled in for flavor. But um, the opening episode and the final episode uh, both reference The Raven, which is a poem that Poe wrote. Um, And then the first episode is based on... They're all titled after the story that they're based on. Um, The first episode is based on The Mask of Red Death, which is a short story about a town that is experiencing the plague, but the prince has holed himself up in a castle and is throwing a party with all of his besties um, as people die down below, and then this guy in a mask shows up and walks through these rooms, and everyone in the room dies as he walks through until he walks up to the um, the prince and grabs him by the neck and he dies. Um, 
Murder in the Rue Morgue is Poe's detective story. Um, the, the first one, the big one. Uh, this is Sherlock before Sherlock existed. And this is what August is from. Um, oh. Poe's detective was August Dupin. See August Dupin. And um, August, this is, you get hints of this, but the most obvious one, because just like Sherlock, he uses um, deductive reasoning. Mm to mm-hmm. solve the mystery. And we get one really big hint of this in the episode where August shows up to Roderick and Matt and Annabelle Lee's house ah, and runs through yeah. his observations on them and who they are. And you might think, wow, that seems really heavy handed. No, that's just how August is in the books. Um, it's extremely <laughs> beat for beat Sherlock. Sherlock had not been written yet. Um, Sherlock Holmes had not. It did not exist, but it is very much we open the story of murders in, in Rue Morgue with August running down some observational shit to a companion. Um, love him. 10 out of 10. Murder in Rue Morgue. People get murdered by monkey. Uh, <laughs> there are certain things that when you see them in this show and you are familiar with the story, you're... Forever before you get there, you know exactly what's coming. The moment the heart mesh was introduced, I knew what was going to happen with it. Black Cat is pretty much beat for beat the same, uh, but the cat does die. Telltale Heart. Dude kills his um, caretaker, or this old man he's a caretaker for that he hates, buries him, thinks he can hear the guy's heartbeat, is like, I got this. I invite the cops in. I'm going to talk to them in a calm and orderly manner, but I can hear the heartbeat the whole time, and finally I lose it and confess. Goldbug is just an adventure story. Uh, That inspired Treasure Island. Yes, it is. It has a lot of similar Mm -hmm. um, treasure hunty sequences. I've not read Goldbug, um, to be honest, Um, but I have read The Pit and the Pendulum, which is a short story about a guy who has been arrested by the Spanish Inquisition (laughs) and is being questioned. Um, And. Um, but yeah, no one was actually. Oh my god. Um, boo, second <laughs> reference, boo. <laughs> um, but this guy is trapped um along the edges of this pit and the walls are pushing him towards the pit. And when he will not confess, even as he's about to be pushed in, instead they strap him to a table and um have this pendulum kind of descending on him, but he's able to use Um, his food to get the rats to chew through the ropes and let him out, I believe. And he is eventually saved. Um, Not so for Freddy. There was... (laughs) So there was a, a, like, Poe-based movie that I saw in theaters, like, in the 2000s or 20-teens. Was it called The Raven or something? Maybe. I don't remember. I remember something Um, like that coming out. Yeah. And I remember there was like the the kind of swinging blade in it, and I was like, "Was the movie called The Pit and the Pendulum?" Which it wasn't. Um, I think the movie I saw had John Cusack in it. But there is a movie from like 2009 called The Pit and the Pendulum, and I just have to share. I'm so excited. This poster with you all. It is truly iconic. Oh God, oh, that's awesome! Oh my God, <laughs> why is he wearing a mesh shirt? Why not? Everybody, you just need to like go and Google this wow. movie. Uh, yeah, that... truly an incredible, incredible poster. That's horrendous. We used to be a proper country back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> this is the cover that I would expect for the Pit and the Pendulum porn parody. 
Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's what know, it looks like right. fully. Let me let me make sure this isn't a porn. I'm just gonna um, do the pit and the pendulum porn parody and surely nothing will go wrong. Surely. Yeah. Oh my god, you're not okay. gonna believe what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, um as far as Poe goes, um really quick before we get into just a grand discussion of the characters and stuff, a couple things about um Poe and other things to do with this show. First of all, kind of off topic, something that always bothers me is that a lot of Brits like to claim Poe. Poe's from fucking, He's from, like, like, Maryland, isn't Baltimore. he? Baltimore. Baltimore, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a Baltimore icon. <laughs> yeah. That's why the There's Ravens. No that's why the Ravens Poe. are called the Ravens. There was a fucking yeah. There's a there's um a couple people that I've like. There are a couple. There's like um there was this like cringe ass rapper, British rapper when I was a kid who had a fucking um rap about being British in which he mentioned Poe and I have had beef with him ever since. Um and then I know a lot of people I speak to just in general think. Poe is British, which frustrates me. He wasn't. Yeah. He was from Yeah, that's Baltimore. wild. Um, People just hear the uh, name Edgar and they think he's English, I think. He has three whole <laughs> names and they're like, that's got to be a British guy. Um, yeah. He's not. Uh, he is a American. Um, other than that, things referenced in this show that are not Poe, um, we do have some Macbeth. There is a very clear allegory with Madeline and Roderick to um, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth. Um, mm -hmm. In that play, uh, Macbeth is very much just kind of fumbling around based on a prophecy, and Lady ah. Macbeth is the one encouraging him to take strides because she knows that she won't be taken seriously, so she needs to make sure that he makes the right decisions. In Macbeth, at, when Lady Macbeth starts to realize that things are not going perfectly well and that this prophecy, which does end in their downfall, is actually going to end in their downfall, um, she rubs at the palms of her hands as she sleepwalks um, to get out a stain that she imagines of blood from the crimes they've committed. Um, so when Madeline realizes, like, oh, shit, Verna's real, Verna's here, and she starts rubbing her hands, A, to kind of, like, deal with the fact that she just physically felt someone dissolve it's very clearly a parallel to that for me at least and there's a lot of references to roderick and madeline being a king and queen right um so there's that as well what's up jeff there is also in terms of non-po references there is a malignant reference in this show there is a malignant reference it kills me wow <laughs> um so mike actually commented oh on did that. he on his Tumblr. Yeah, somebody asked a question. They're like, was this a reference to Malignant? And he was like, no, it's a reference to a Poe thing. Yeah. Uh, I'll try to okay, find it Okay, but I think he knew again. what he was doing when he put it in the scene with the giallo lighting from the neon sign outside the goddamn window. <laughs> I think it, I'm pretty sure that that's telegraphed so fucking hard. <laughs> Did you say, do you think I should go into Mike's ask box and ask him about the Lady Macbeth scene? Emma, is that what yes, you were going to say? Yes, you should, yeah. you should message his Tumblr and be like, hey, I'm noticing a lot of parallels with Macbeth uh, with these two characters. Is that intentional? Blah, 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 blah. Because he answers things pretty he regularly. He does. And I would <laughs> love would to interact with Mike. Um, that's not just reblogging edits of his yeah. wife that he reblogs. To interact with him in a way that's not just him <laughs> listening to our podcast, which we know that he's been doing religiously Hi, ever since last Flanuary. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Um, yeah, Mike no. Loves and then Flanuary. obviously there's a lot of references. <laughs> 
to um, ancient Egypt. That's pretty consistent. Um, It's uh, great, and I love it. It's very cool. I love... um, There's some biblical references, both... um, the Usher siblings and um, Verna reference a couple things to do with the Bible. Um, yeah, there's it's a pretty richly referential show. It's really clear that um, while it does care about its characters and want you to care about its characters, this show knows that it's built off references and it's not about to not own up to that. Um, I will say as far as like adaptations of work, when I heard that this was going to be an overarching story that integrated all of these different Poe stories, um, my favorite Poe story is The Mask of Red Death. Uh, It only got more my favorite Poe story after the pandemic because Mm -hmm. it was so accurate to what we all experienced um, while being written like forever ago. Um, But you can't really do that in 2023. Um, with a, and it doesn't really work that way, but they were able to still kind of keep those same themes by making sure that the, um, staff, the service staff got out before the sprinklers turned on. That was very true to the original story. And I really appreciated that. But my favorite adaptation was a telltale heart. When we, when we talk about that one more in depth, um, I can get into more of why, but I think it needed the time it took to build up to it. Mm. And it did something that it only could have done if it were part of an overarching story the way that it was yeah anyway that's it for my fun fact corner mostly i wanted to talk about august because um arthur also is a character whose backstory is an entire poe novel Mm. that he wrote so what you hear verna describing if you're like wow i'd love to experience that and and see that in detail then you should read the book yeah arthur gordon pym the man from nantucket i believe is what it's called there's no way that's true I'm 99% sure that's the exact name. Are, are we are we looking? I up? think we might be. Oh, I, I was happening. I think so. Also, I will say the. Um... I'm sorry. The narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. My oh mistake. Oh my god! It actually does name drop Nantucket. That's crazy. He's Canadian. That's crazy. That's insane. There once was a Pym from Nantucket. I can't wait to learn another thing about him. <laughs> there once was a Pym who took to sea. The last thing that I will say about. Okay, this is actually unfortunate. Pim's whaling ship that he went on was called the Grampus. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 yeah that's where they is, were building the ship and it's called Is the that also the story with the, the, the cannibalism where they eat a man named Richard Parker? I believe which so. Which he references in, I don't remember which episode, where he, he says, like, yep. the line yeah. is just like, I'm having Richard Parker for dinner, tell him to delay by an hour or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Another... Obvious, the, the Obviously, the whole show is based off the fall of House Usher, which is a short story, again, very short. Um, basically, it takes the same kind of story as the um, framing device, which is Usher invites a friend over, says, hey, uh, I something's up. Uh, my sister is in the basement. It's it's kind of fucky. And the friend is like, you, why are you telling me all this? And then the sister comes up from the basement. She's not dead. Um, and the friend runs out of the crumbling house as the sister and brother are crushed in the collapsing debris. Oh. So that's the whole short story. Oh, it's literally just the house falling down. It is. Oh. It is. Friend shows up. Oh, my God. Um, my family is destitute. Oh, that sucks, buddy. Anyway, here's your my dead sister. Bye. Huh. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I assume it lands better than okay. that when you read it. 
Uh, not really. Oh. <laughs> it it is really it is good, okay. and it's kind of scary. But it is it it does not one hundred percent. It does feel abrupt, and it does feel like what that was the whole story. I have so many questions, which is probably why it makes such a great framing device for a longer form story like yeah. this. Neat. Yeah. So read the malignant reference. Yeah. Okay. Um. To to read this whole thing in context, uh, somebody asked Mr. Flanagan. Um, I really love your references to other horror media, particularly fun to pick out what I think is modern horror refs, um, like were the chimps inspired from Nope, and the reference in Tammy's death to a twin growing in the brain feels very obviously about Malignant. If these aren't the inspirations, what were? And is there any inspirations everyone's missed that you wish they'd noticed in any of your work? Um, Well, the chimps are from the original story, but... yeah. Mike was like, the chimps were inspired by Poe's story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue. The concept of the twin was from Poe's William Wilson, also Tammy's husband's name. Worth noting, Poe wasn't alone in this either. A similar storyline was used in Henry James's The Jolly Corner. Fun fact, long before the concept of a parasitic twin was used in Malignant, it was done to amazing effect in Takashi Miike's imprint and many others. Malignant was a home was homaging a lot of other work. It wasn't the first to this party. Mike still and put the fucking neon people... light in that scene, and he did it on purpose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's because Tammy's people... green. That's her whole deal. Yeah. Knowledge. Um, reading through the Tumblr posts for House Usher, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, is this a reference to this thing and this thing? <laughs> and Mike constantly being like, no. It's just more Poe. It's a reference to Poe. It's all more It's just Poe all the Everything way Everything is Poe. <laughs> yeah. it, it is one of those unfortunate things where like, while I would love it to actually be a malignant thing, like some of these things, it's like, are you familiar with the thing that you're watching? Did you watch the thing you were watching? The Rue Mo- Morgue <laughs> right. one pisses me off more than the... Um, because yeah. that's like a well-known story, that relatively. Is the the whole reason that it is well-known is the the orangutan did it twist. Yeah, yeah. That is the yeah. whole reason anyone even knows what that story. That's the is. only reason I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, it's a nope reference. What? 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 Because there's <laughs> monkeys. Go, Literally, go the t- the Tumblr questions are full of stuff yeah. like this. And he They're also like, was this a reference to modern thing? No. He's like, it's... no, it's reference to old thing. <laughs> it's so frustrating to go through the tag because you know I do. I love the characters in this show oh, yeah. so much. I love every mm. single one of them because they are all so fucked up in specific ways and there's no there's nothing more to them than what we see in a really interesting way. Um and I love getting to see like four different flavors of fucked up girl boss. Mm. I feel like we just do not get enough fucked up girl boss in this world. Um five. I totally forgot about Verna who's not a girl but counts in this. Is a boss. <laughs> she is she a boss. Girl bosses yeah. regardless. Um, yeah. She girl bosses. Uh, There's nothing else I can say about what she does. Um, But trying to go through the tags for anyone other than Verna or Arthur um, is hell because it's all just people trying to do the seven deadly sins, which Mike has explicitly said is not. No, they're all different aspects of Roderick. It's so fucking obvious. Mm -hmm. Roderick and Matt. Yeah, I really liked um, the person that asked that question. Mike was like, no, I really enjoy seeing those like theories and stuff, but there are only six kids. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That was so funny. Oh, I love him so much. Like, I'm not going to say that all of my 
things that I read out of the show are true. Well, I no. think the this is something I see with Neil Gaiman as well. The frustration comes when you take it to the creator to validate what you read out of the show. It's like if you yeah. got something out of this, that's great. But like, mm-hmm. I miss the days when media was just like something. And this is, I'm not talking about like the olden times when we couldn't contact authors because people have always been no, like, no. fucking writing talking to authors like, and stuff. Like Stanley Kubrick, who just wouldn't answer questions about the things that he made. <laughs> I'm talking about when I was a kid and I read a book and I did not know anything about the author. Yep. And I all I knew was just what I was reading. Um, I didn't know yeah. shit about Rick Riordan. I just knew Percy Jackson was something that I enjoyed. Um, yep. yeah. Now, I would like to remind everyone that Daryl Gregory said my read of Revelator was correct. And that is what matters. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a particularly egregious with House Usher for some reason. Um, and I think part of that is the referential nature. Yeah. I mean, I think... It's similar with a lot of Flanagan's Absolutely. work. Because a lot of it is not just the narrative that's being told. There's a lot of kind of yeah. undertones and allegory and references. He's got layers. And, I mean, especially in America, I don't know so much today, but when I was growing up, I constantly had, like, write an essay about what you think the author meant with mm. this thing. And it's funny, as an adult, I'll hear stories about kids in like the 70s or 80s like writing letters to authors Mm. sometimes and some kids were like oh by this thing did you mean this or like what and the authors being like lol no (laughs) (laughs) Um, i just i just thought it sounded cool or whatever but it's just it was so drilled into like me and my generation and probably other generations to like look for like meaning and references and various other things where they aren't necessarily there or intended to be there. And now that the internet is just a thing and it's to get and remain socially relevant on the internet, you have to constantly like express thoughts and express deep opinions and all of these things. And so people keep kind of regurgitating that process for like every new um, story that comes out that has a little bit of depth. And I just love that. Mike and others of this generation are so like willing to talk on the internet They're about just in the trenches things with us and say like no that's not right this is what I was yeah. if there, and especially like to be like there is meaning there it's just not that yeah mm-hmm. yeah because it's always good to be inquisitive about stuff like oh, yeah. that but also it's like there's only six children yep. <laughs> And I keep yeah, I mean, seeing that whole process is how you build media literacy. That's, yeah, that's and it's great true. and that's it's important. True. And I love that people are doing it. But I love that we also are getting kind of from the other side, like directors and writers who are like on social media and get to talk about like what their actual inspirations were and kind of educate their process. And it's yep. really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In any case, I want to talk about. Robert yeah, I was about to say, I want to start here. talking about characters. Yeah. Let's go. So Yeah, let's do it. Um, I love that certain... I Initially, in my notes, I really wanted to draw back lines and like do a good episode summary, mm-hmm. right? So I actually had like a, a deep thing to say. Frustratingly enough, um, Perry's episode is probably my most notated episode. It's got a lot uh, to Because it's, 
It's one of my favorites. And the reason that is, is because the early episodes were really tightly focused on a single sibling because they were about to die. And you really had yeah. to get a lot of them in there. Yeah. Because while Freddie and Tammy and Vic, they could breathe over the first five episodes before they started to die. You know, we didn't have that luxury with Perry, who was in for one and a half episodes. Um, But I really, really love how short-sighted Perry is. That is what I kept saying about him as well, yeah. Yeah, so he's a smart kid. He made a product, his private, like orgy palace that has enough demand that he did literally manage to make his 20 mil out of midair or whatever that he wanted to make. He made it happen. And then he's like, the real money is in blackmail. And in theory, he's right and smart about that. But I just, from everything we've seen of him, I know for a fact he would not have utilized this properly. He would be blackmailing from day one because he's not smart enough to withhold mm. and the whole thing would have fallen apart. He would not been a trustworthy party guy anymore because people would know if you show up to one of Prospero Usher's parties, you're going to be on camera and he's going to use it on you and people wouldn't go. Yeah. It is a trick that you, you can know, only do immediately. Once. And yeah. just like Roderick cutting his short sighted deal with Verna yeah. where she's like, you're never going to face a single consequence. All your kids are going to die though. And he's like, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to face a single consequence. And she's like, yeah, all of your kids will die, though. But, you know, what's better? 70 years with some anxiety about life or 50 years where you just grab life by the balls and squeeze. And he's like, I will face no consequences. You said that. And he makes his deal. And Perry, I think Perry is the most like Roderick in this sense, because Roderick is stupid as hell. Madeline is the driving force sibling who keeps Roderick Mm -hmm. around because even in the flashbacks, Verna says, Roderick, you can be the CEO or Madeline, whichever one you want. Madeline knows that she can't rock being the CEO. People won't take her as seriously. She's a woman and she wants to have Roderick be the face that takes all the brunt so that she can do the important work so that she can make Roderick do what she wants him to do so that her stuff keeps ticking. The note that I took at the end of this episode just says Prospero was Roderick on fast forward. Yeah. And it really feels to me yeah, like that that, that is really just exactly what his whole shtick was. He was just the same dude on a way shorter time scale. Yeah. Yeah. So sure and he's honestly, untouchable. One of the not necessarily unfortunate things about mm. Prospero, but like he's so bad at pitches. He's so fucking bad at pitching because his ideas. Oh when he's God. doing his his pitch of like the club <laughs> to uh, Roderick and it's Madeline, shit. he hasn't practiced. He he hasn't practiced. It's pretty shit. It's pretty like boilerplate. Mm-hmm. And later in the episode, when he's actually doing the party, he's he you see him in this back security room where he's got like, oh, I've got all these security cameras. I'm gonna fucking own these people. I'm like, you should have pitched that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you Madeline would have been all over the that. Blackmail club? Yeah. You kidding it's me? about yeah. information <laughs> control, blackmail, all of the stuff. Like, yeah, if you talked about that, they probably would have seen a lot more use in your uh-huh. idea. And then Madeline would have reeled him in, too. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. prob- she yeah. would have made the idea stronger. She would have been yeah. like, this would be great if we put an AI in charge of it. <laughs> God, I love her. God, <laughs> I love her. She is the I, worst. Yeah. 
I would love, because you brought up the deal scene, I would love to talk really quick about Madeline and uh, that Can I scene. say one more thing about Prospero real quick before we get off yeah, of him? Yeah, absolutely. There is this thing that he does when he's talking to his friends and he's pitching his ideas to them and stuff, right? When he's in, like, uh, you know, uh, shot caller mode, right? Because everyone mm-hmm. around him is just going to listen to whatever he says. So he's just, he gets to just dictate things. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. time that he makes a decision... A couple seconds later, he makes a change to it. And then a couple seconds after that, he makes another change to it. There's always three steps to everything that he says. And this is something that we see Roderick do a couple times as well when he's making excuses to Dupin. Did you Mm -hmm. catch this? He does it the exact same way. He says something and then he makes a modification and then he makes another modification. And then Dupin says something else and he like changes his tune and he says something else. Then he makes another addition onto that, and then he makes another addition onto that. Prospero does this every single time he makes a decision, and we see something a little bit similar from a lot of the other characters, but you know who we never see that kind of thing from at all is Madeline or Camille. Anytime Mm -hmm. either of those two opens their mouth, they are 100% certain of whatever they're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things... Sorry, Nina, real quick, and then I'm I'm, I'm backing out. Uh, One of the things I love about Perry is he doesn't have any original thoughts. His only thought is the sex club that is blackmail. But Mm -hmm. when his friends are just like, there should be a theme to the orgy, he's like... (laughs) <laughs> this isn't prom. There he's will be like, no theme to my no orgy. Theme. And then and then he's, he's immediately like, like he it'll, be it'll be a masquerade. It'll be a masquerade. Yeah, because he's stealing everyone else's ideas around him and building off of it. He doesn't have any original ideas. He's Just like how Roderick... <laughs> he's building, yes. Just like how Roderick stole Ligadone from some other guy. Yeah. Well, and like how mm-hmm. Roderick yeah. made his entire career on Madeline's coattails, more or less, just with her pushing him out in front. Mm-hmm. So... Can I say something really quick about before we because we're going to talk about Madeline in we're a getting, second here. We're getting there, yeah. Um, yeah. About the deal. So with with P- Perry being um, the most like evident mirror to Roderick, just in the just faster. I think it's really funny that Roderick tries to say that Tamerlan was most like him when Tamerlan is so clearly like Mads. Mads, Tam and Camille are so Mads coded. And I love how Madeline backs Tamerlan up because mm, in the does, 80s, always. she had to take a back rung and she had to, knowing what how people treated her in this company before, she didn't have the groundwork that she had given Roderick. She wasn't able to get that groundwork. So she had to wait. But Tamerlan doesn't necessarily have to wait. Tamerlan could be the CEO of her own company now. She just has to not let herself bow to men or be pushed around by men at all. So Mads goes in and makes sure that that won't happen. And in doing so, dooms Tamerlan to to die. Because I Mm -hmm. swear to God, if Madeline had not been there, Tamerlan would have called Bill. It makes it so well written just because Madeline actually cares about Tamerlan. And like, it's maybe the only person in this whole show that Madeline genuinely cares about. She ruins her. I love it so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Madeline is a great character. I love her. I love her. Well, she's I, horrible. I don't, she's I so she's the worst. Horrible. She's like she's so I love a terrible at every turn. I never yeah. get a character like her 
these days that's this nuanced and and a woman and being a woman is part of her character. Mm-hmm. She's not yeah. just some Disney villain. She is a a character whose motivations I understand and whose frustrations I understand. Um, and I hate her. <laughs> yeah. uh, y'all, yeah. is this a safe space? Yes. Young Madeline is really, really, really hot. hot. <laughs> yeah. Old Madeline is hot. I was about hot. to say, why Madeline you gotta specify young Madeline? Hold on a second. Is this a safe I'm space? I'm not into old Madeline. You're not? Yeah. Well, no. All right. <laughs> I just can't forget her. She was on a sci-fi show. She was on Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. I just... I can't not see that character. <laughs> I, I'm so glad I've never seen that then, because all I want I've, is I this. haven't either. I just saw, like, trailers huh. constantly, and it's just, like, anytime I see her, I think Battlestar Galactica. I watched <laughs> it, and I didn't recognize her in this from it. <laughs> I don't know oh, how. wow. I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, that's surprising. But, so I wanted to talk about Madeline, yeah. um, and specifically the deal hmm. scene with Verna. Um and to start, I, I would like to tell a short story. So for the audience, I have two older brothers. Um, the oldest is named Corey. And anytime like somebody's dating somebody new or whatever, my mom does the classic thing when we're all hanging out of like, oh my gosh, like embarrassing story time. Oh, the classic. Mm-hmm. Telling you about embarrassing stories. Yeah. And Corey famously doesn't really have many embarrassing stories from childhood um and he himself would admit and would say yeah because anytime i had an idea of to like do something dumb i wouldn't do it i would convince uh danny or emma to do Ah. it and then we would go and do it and in the same way he kind of like protected himself from like blame or all these other things or punishment um because he got somebody else to do it and just like hid his involvement. And Madeline feels very much the same way where her entire character is about control mm-hmm. um, and controlling everybody around her, controlling her own life, her own decisions. And when we were talking about, or when Noah, you were talking about how Madeline didn't take over as CEO because like, Oh, people wouldn't, treat her seriously because she's a woman. There's possibly some truth to that, but I think it makes a lot of sense that instead she chose not to take it because um, if Roderick was CEO, she could get him to make decisions or like do these things and do all these things. And then if there was ever any downfall, she could just pin the blame on him. And in the scene where they're making the deal, we see... Madeline very, like, kind of shocked and shaken, like, a couple of times, um, where Verna is talking about, like, oh, Roderick, um, you have to, to make this deal, like, you would get away with things, everything would be fine, your kids would be raised, like, with not wanting anything, and all you have to do is that when you die, your kids are gonna die as well, um, and is talking about all of these demands on Roderick and Madeline is surprised that Roderick seems to be like willing, but also is kind of like pushing him to accept the deal as well. Um, And like one line specifically that I'm not quite remembering right now, so I'm not going to mention it, but she does like 
egg him on in a way of like, oh yeah, it's like way better to live like 50 years. Your kids would like be like royalty Mm -hmm. than living to old age poor. And similarly, later on in the show, when um, Verna is sitting with Arthur Pym and is trying to make a deal with him and it's like, oh, I can... Like, make sure you get away from this scot-free. Like, you're not going to go to jail. Everything will be fine. Um, You just have to give me, like, something that's important to you. Because I don't care about money or anything. I want something that you truly value. And Arthur's like, "Uh, no, I'm good. I'm happy with that. I don't value anything. But (laughs) still, that conversation reflects back to the conversation with Mm -hmm. Roderick and... Um, Madeline because Verna insists that Madeline also has to agree to the deal and as I was watching that I was like what is it that Verna is or what is it that Verna is making Madeline kind of give up in this deal because in the conversation there's nothing explicit that Verna asks from Madeline Um, Madeline is just kind of attached to the deal but by agreeing to the deal and by kind of being forced to tie her fate in with Roderick's, Verna is forcing her to give up her control. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when Roderick was starting to agree to the deal, um, Madeline very much had an attitude of like, oh my gosh, this is like, I can't believe you're agreeing to this, but this is great. This is perfect. And kind of like the feigned, the feigned moral like response from somebody who, likes to be in control but kind of give control to others Mm -hmm. of just kind of along for the ride but like i get to benefit from this as well and not have any consequences but verna forces consequences onto madeline by getting her to agree and then madeline's legacy is also um kind of corrupted and destroyed by the end of the show because her big thing she didn't have any children very Mm -hmm. purposefully but her big project was eternal life and living forever. And she was doing this through AI. And by the end of the show, when she dies, like we see the project did not work with Lenore. Um, and it's not going to continue development because Fortunato basically crumbles and is dissolved. And so her legacy was destroyed as well because of the deal. And it's just yeah. all so cool. And I, I really liked that watching the scene again. It Yeah, with the extra context. Uh, I'm going to add on to that as well. I think that it's a combination of both what Noah and you were saying, where it's, it is that she, she knows that she could be CEO, but she knows how much work that would take to, how much she'd have to combat with every fucking day, when Roderick mm-hmm. is just so much easier to control than the public. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, and if she, and she does, because it's like she sits back and buys her time. She can control Roderick very easily. She inserts herself into the kids' lives um, and directs Pim around to make sure that the kids are doing what Madeline would want to do. Um, she uh, she waits. And then the moment that it seems like she actually can take over the company, she does. So, you know, she it's not that she never wanted to be CEO, COO was her first choice because that is a real position of power that can 
do everything without the um, public facing pressures that would have weighed doubly on her because she was a woman. So yeah, it's definitely both of those things. And then I love what you said about like her not thinking there would be any consequences and giving up control. She doesn't believe that she gave up control though, because even in the end, she goes to meet Verna and the conversation is let's renegotiate. Uh-huh. And Verna's like, yeah. no, no. <laughs> and, and Madeline's like, okay then. And, and tries to find a loophole. And Verna's like, no, gets up and snaps <laughs> Verna's neck. Yeah. Yeah. And Verna's like, ha ha ha. <laughs> I love how I love how she like she calls she calls Madeline a name and I love Madeline because when Annabelle Lee said you are so small she internalized that and directed it at Griswold when mm-hmm. Verna says something to the same effect Madeline walks across the room and snaps her neck and I love that as character growth um, yeah, it's great <laughs> see what, I I really liked the way that she used it against Griswold actually because to me it felt like that that was just the indication that like that is the most hurtful thing that anyone has ever said to Madeline and she actually did take it hard. She would never show it, of course, right? No. But Annabelle Lee saying that really did hurt her on a very deep level. And I I, I like that the way we see Madeline's emotional vulnerability is by looking at the stuff that she chooses to weaponize, right? It's so, so hot. So, yeah. I think that's actually God. really, <laughs> really fun to see what the two siblings internalize from different people and what they say to yeah. them. Can I say one last thing about Madeline mm-hmm. and and control really yeah. quick? Mm-hmm. Um, and the loophole. Roderick tries to do the exact same fucking loophole by killing Madeline. And it also doesn't work. The curtain is going to go down on both of them at the same time, no matter what either of them do to try and get one in over on each other. And I love that so yeah. much. I just wanted to to bring that, that to, a, to a close there. Cool. All right. I'd like to I would like to highlight three of Roderick's big takeaways. Maybe not three, maybe just mm. two. Multiple of Roderick's takeaways from people he should not respect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. His, um, remember the golden rule. He with the gold makes the rules. Where did he get that? Oh, not just a Wizard of Id comic panel. No, it was the panel that Griswold displayed in his office. Mm-hmm. Where does he get his war room speech? Uh-huh. From Griswold. And I love the way the directly. show gives us this as well, right? We get Roderick yeah, saying where it, he and comes then a couple up. scenes later, we just get Griswold saying it word for word. Yeah. <laughs> It's like exact same speech. And I think there was a third thing, but I can't remember what it is right now. So uh, pretend I made a salient point, but there's a lot of things that Roderick takes from people he sees as better men than he is. Whereas Madeline goes to meet with Griswold and he's just like, ooh, awooga, habana, 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 habana. That is all he You're says. smart for a girl, you know. You're smart for a girl. And I could make anything happen for you if you were smart the way I want you to be smart, which is actually habana, 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 <laughs> And she leaves and she's like, well, this is the stupidest man I've ever met. We have nothing to worry about. Meanwhile, Roderick 
40 something years later is quoting this man to his children uh -huh. because he thinks, well, I mean, he wasn't a, I didn't like him, but he was a smart, good man who got what he needed done kind of attitude. He Not only a good looked man, but you down know I mean. on Griswold because Madeline did. Mm. He, Whenever they're in scenes with Madeline and Roderick, he's like, they're giving each other knowing looks. And Roderick keeps looking over at Madeline like, haha, isn't this guy stupid? When Roderick and, and Griswold are alone, it, Roderick is not sucking dick because Madeline told him to. Roderick is sucking dick because he wants to. Mm -hmm. Roderick He's is like, such oh a pushover God. in all the flashback scenes, isn't he? Yeah. The first watch. Wait a minute, you stole my idea. No, I stole my idea. Yeah, and I am I'll reward genuinely, <laughs> genuinely shocked that he went through with the um the trial in front of August the way that mm. he did, with August looking right? at him. Um I just I know that it's just because he knew Madeline would literally strangle him, but jeez. <laughs> right. Yeah, the 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 mm -hmm. first watch through that I did of the show, um, I was confused in a lot of the flashback scenes because I was like, I don't know, man. The like old Roderick seems so like certain and commanding and whatnot, or at least that's what he's putting forward and stuff. Whereas young Roderick comes across always as such a pushover. This time through, the whole time I was just like, oh right, it's just like really emphasizing to us the fact that this man didn't do a single thing. Actually, everything that he has at any point where he has anything at all, he took it from somebody. Whether it's ideas that he got from Griswold or being told what to do directly by Madeline or Annabelle or whoever, he had absolutely nothing original whatsoever. And then Frederick is that, like, again, he's the copy of the copy. He's just copying off of mm -hmm. Frederick, who's just copying off of Griswold and Madeline. But when Frederick copies, he doesn't even get it. He doesn't know yeah. why it works when they do it. He just knows they do it and it works. So he tries to do it and then mm -hmm. it doesn't work predictably. He, the usher ascendant. He yeah. can't even, because Roderick will qu quote word for word yeah. what someone said to him 40 years ago. Frederick will try to quote Roderick two hours later and, he misses and it. not even kind of get it right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or when he's reciting uh, Pim's, um, we at Fortunato um, <laughs> do everything in our power speech to uh, com Pim. comply and shit. I have a lot of notes in here about Frederick also being a copy of a copy yeah. because he's, he exists, he knows what Roderick does, he doesn't know why it works, but he acts like he knows how it works. And his entire thing is just, you know, Froderick, you Froderick. know, the, yep. the haha, very funny joke. But he's doing exactly the same shit without any purpose behind his actions, so that when he's turned loose, he doesn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Which is why when he was told, you gotta take this building down, he doesn't he doesn't take the building down. He says, well, you know, the EPA is, uh, you know, they're, they're really watching right now. So it's, oh man, and getting all the permits in order. Oh man. And Roderick's just like a thousand dollars, a wrecking ball, two guys yeah. knock the building down. And then we go, I can't believe what happened to our building. We will of course clean it up immediately because we don't want to have a death trap. Boom. Yeah, Roger. Henry Thomas does a really good job of just looking absolutely befuddled and bewildered in every goddamn <laughs> yeah. scene. God, I am so grateful that Mike so does the American Horror Story thing of using the same cast over and over mm -hmm. because I love seeing Henry Thomas in the variety of roles that he has performed in. Yeah, and Freddie is yeah. the most hateable oh, to mm -hmm. date. Oh, yeah. Worth God, noting, it's just really great. I feel like if you were to highlight almost any of these actors and say this is the best performance I've ever seen from them, I don't think I would argue with any of them. Because, like, 
Um, I really like Bev Beverly versus Bev Tammy. Bev Keen is, is I love Tammy. Difficult to beat, but. Tammy is maybe I'm get we can get into it because I think this is contentious. Tammy is my favorite this watch through. I like her a lot. Um, yeah, I I really attach to her um, on this one. But so oh, Bev Keen is she just is something Bev else. is actually like legit incredible, incredible. I think uh, Zach Guilford as young Roderick also had a lot more to do in Midnight Mass and therefore was doing mm-hmm. better. He doesn't do bad in yeah. this though. He does pretty good. Uh, no, Michael Truco he does, is the guy, especially in the later yeah, episodes. Michael Truco is the guy who plays uh, Griswold, and this is actually, I think, the first time that I've ever seen him in something serious. And I think he actually does like really, really good with it. Yeah, he's so good in the oh. in the bricking up scene. All three he's, of them are the, incredible oh. in that scene. I love that shit so much. Something that really interested me, and since you all. I I imagine peered through Mike's Tumblr as I, well. You probably saw this. I actually too. didn't because I knew that it's been multiples a of the rest of you would. So I did well, recently. Like I was All the right. only one. It did recently, um, so I might have seen it, but I have don't know off the so top of my head. Pop quiz time. Mike said there was one character in particular that he loved writing the most out of everybody in House Usher, uh, and it was surprising. Um, was it not Verna? Throw out some names. It's not oh. Verna. I love Verna. I'm trying to think. But I love a, an entity like her. She's She plays to my very specific desires for a character. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I love Verna. She's great. Um, It's got to be Pam. Bill. It's not Pam. It's not Pam. Is it Bill? It's not it's Bill. It's not Pam. It's, it's not Bill. Damn, I love Bill. Is it Juno just <laughs> because Ruth Cod is such a fun person? She I is. Love I, I, I love her. It's so not Juno, I love but Juno I love so Juno. I Who have a it? lot to say about Juno. Just tell it me. Oh, it's Griswold. Griswold. Oh, okay. Griswold. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I see it. Yeah. Griswold, Griswold is really well written. favorite character to write. Knowing that, that makes sense. I feel like if I were to watch the show thinking that, I would see it. Oh, I can just yeah. think back and see like the way the man is framed against his like carved wood wall and shit. Oh, he has a lot of energy to him. When he's looking at them with that kind of, you know, the stages of grief with acceptance through the jester mask. Mm. Oh, yeah. I oh, I love a character who I hate, hate, hate and up until the moment where they accept that uh-huh. they're fucked. And it's like, well god, I, think I hate you the get guy, a, but he didn't deserve that. Like <laughs> I love just the uh, just, you get a lot of that in this show. You get a lot of oh, yeah. watching pathetic, pathetic people yeah. get something that they didn't quite deserve, but I still can't be like super broken up about it. Yeah. The only time I cried, I cry so much during Flanagan shows. <laughs> the only time that I cried in this watch through was when Tammy is finally opening up to Bill, but he's already gone. And I took so many notes I, about that yeah. scene. I was I'm glad you brought it up because I really, really, really wanted to talk about that. Holy shit, holy shit, holy <laughs> shit. Her entire relationship thus oh far has been God. defined by her inability to experience actual intimacy with him. And then she chases him fully away. And the moment that she finally starts to actually show a little bit of real vulnerability, even just a little bit, it's too late. She has already uh, driven him away. Oh, Tammy. Oh, oh. Uh, the fact that she, the fact that, the Juno knows Tammy so well because as much as Tammy has tried to close herself off and make herself this mysterious, like, Madeline type, Juno can see right through her 
whether or not Juno even knows that's what she's doing, because the moment that Tamerlan says one non-aggressive, not even nice, non-aggressive word to Juno, Juno is there at the gold bug mm-hmm. thing. Juno is immediately like, this is as close as Tamerlan gets to being like vulnerable. I mean, the entire rest of the show, she's like, why is it speaking? Yeah. Every single time that, like, Juno says a single word. They're all so horrible to Juno. Oh, my God. And then Juno, ugh. Juno and Tammy. Madeline and Tammy. the whole time. This is the first time that we see the Usher women supporting each Mm. other because I love Camille and Leo's relationship. I love it very much. Um, But that is the... That is the only, like, close family relationship that we see at all up until um, kind of Madeline, Madeline and Tammy and Juno in that last episode because Vic tries to connect with Tammy and Freddie and they absolutely shut her mm-hmm. out. Tammy and Freddie don't seem close. They just seem to have a wink and shrug about everyone else in the family. Camille and Leo are the only ones who genuinely sit down and have a heart-to-heart yeah. until we get what for Tammy is about the same. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that, I love that we, we get to see this like final attempt for the three of them separately to kind of have these relationships with each other, but it's too late. Ugh. Ugh. I don't know. I also love Verna on the phone with Bill when Tammy gets home. Yeah. Just giving her an example. Yeah. You know, here's what it of looks what like. she could do. You like having these things of, modeled for you in front of you, right? Here you go. Here you go. Here it is. Just you can do it. And she, she and, doesn't oh, want every it. time she falls so hard. I I love Tamerlan Usher so Once much. Once again, She's Samantha Sloan's performance person. in this episode is absolutely just incredible throughout it. And that that whole like final sequence there as she's like just circling the drain, basically. Mm-hmm. She is so fucking incredible. Oh, my God. She is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emma, you said you were excited to talk about Tammy, and I'm interested what you were going to yeah. say. So on my first watch through of this show um, and kind of sitting with the show afterwards, Tammy felt very, I don't want to say she felt like a nothing character. But compared to everybody else in the show, she just felt extremely kind of detached. And, like, I didn't get her very much. And, like, her entire storyline has, like, her and Bill kind of, like, for a lot of the time off on their own little island doing Mm -hmm. their own thing. And, like, everybody else is interacting with each other, like, regularly, but they're not. And... As I was watching this time and I was trying to figure out, like, why didn't I get Tammy? Like, what what's going on? Like, why does she feel so isolated? And that's the key word. That's exactly what I was just thinking. <laughs> and, yep. Yeah. And, like, her whole shtick, her whole thing is about um, being unable to share her emotions, to be open and vulnerable, like her mother. Um, it's something she had to shut her off and kind of get rid of in order to survive under her father and under kind of like this monarchy. And she, in order to like satisfy like those deep urges of wanting to be open and vulnerable, but not being able to do that, she has to hire escorts to kind of like role play with her husband. And she has to sit and watch because she cannot do that. Um, Even if 
I think at this point, it's probably so deeply ingrained in her to like suppress those instincts um, and su suppress those like desires for vulnerability that she couldn't even do it if she wanted to. And she has these like role playing things and it's weird, but like it's all about kind of her being isolated and feeling isolated. And therefore her story is also very much pretty isolated from the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. And something I loved as I was watching this is another character who I had forgot about um, before my rewatch this time. Well, I didn't forget about her because I've been seeing her on TikTok a lot. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's great. I love her. But um, yep. Juno. Also isolated. Another character whose story is very isolated and wants to be emotionally vulnerable with people and wants to be supportive, but everybody else will mm -hmm. not allow it. And just kind of those two characters, like, and how they play off of each other throughout the story and just like small ways and how it like builds up is just so good. <sighs> and so this time seeing and understanding the narrative connection between yeah. these two was just, it made their stories so much more satisfying and it made them stand out to me so much yeah. more this time around. Same. And I think really like contributed to me like loving the show way more this time. Ta and it was great. It was so good. <laughs> Tammy's the, and because of that, because of like the, what you're saying about she had to shut that down and couldn't do it even if she wanted mm. to, she was the only character both times, uh, more so this time, that I was actively begging to like, please just mm -hmm. do the right thing. Please yeah. just reach out for your own good. This isn't even for anyone else. You are not saving anyone else. I just want you to save yourself. Just um, be a little bit less miserable before the end. Just just for like 30 seconds. <laughs> you've been through so much. Like she's not a good person. She's a bitch. But like on the scale of terrible things done, there is one person that she's done. There are two people, Juno and Bill, that she has done terrible, terrible things to more than anyone else. It's in her personal life because, she, you know, what does her product really do? Nothing. So at least there's that. She can't hurt anyone because she's not doing anything. It's very similar to Leo, which is why um, talking about like mirrors, their experiences mirror each other. Mm -hmm. They hurt the person closest to them pretty much nobody else honestly and then mm. they have these hallucinations and destroy their home and themselves um which is so interesting um but i don't really have the brain energy to get into what that might mean <laughs> but with yeah. with tammy yeah she was the only one who like i wanted her to make good decisions and mike absolutely stabbed me in the heart by letting her make one good decision and <laughs> opening up to juno once and then just so you know she's capable of it you know she's so close she tried to open up to bill she did open up to juno and then madeline says fuck men men ain't shit and that's it she's dead yeah. i was actually super interested in uh the mirroring with juno thing is really cool and i actually hadn't caught that it's really neat um the, the, the primary read that I had on Tamerlane was that, like, um, Annabelle Lee's ghost has this monologue to Roderick toward the end where she talks about um, the way that he got the kids away from her by just throwing money at them and uh, 
what she ends up saying is that um, every time that she saw them after that, less and less of them came back each time until eventually they were just empty. And I feel mm-hmm. like what we see through Tamerlane's whole arc is that that emptiness has made her, like her, like her, 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 like inability to have any kind of intimacy or vulnerability comes from the fact that she knows she's got nothing inside. She has been filled up with all this just absolute nothing. And because she has no depth, no meaning, she turns really deeply towards superficiality, which is kind of shown to us through um, the the fact that she's like, you know, she's married to Bill, who is the YouTube fitness guy. And what in the world is more superficial than that shit, right? And then the thing that she's selling is what Bill describes as being a lowly cosmetics box. And her home is all full of these mirrors and stuff. And the mirrors kind of do the uh, sort of this dual function of emphasizing that uh, she's obsessed with superficiality and also indicating uh, sort of her, the way that they, they are what kills her kind of indicates her, that her downfall is due to her inability to like self-reflect, right? It's like mm-hmm. just literally yeah. everything about her entire thing is just emphasizing her, not just her isolation, but her emptiness is kind of what I saw. Because the a lot of like the kind of the opposite play that you see with Juno, even between her and Juno, is that like she has all this opportunity, more or less exactly like you were saying, right? She has all this opportunity for uh, vulnerability, for intimacy, for better relationships and stuff. But she pushes it away. She rejects it at every turn because she no longer knows what to do with any of it. Whereas as an opposite, Juno is like being forced to be isolated because she's in this giant ass empty house that she says nobody is ever in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's not as though Juno's had a a super easy life up until marrying Roderick, right? She's had her more than her share of problems, it seems. But despite this, she still has this like hunger for life and for happiness that Tamerlane just cannot aspire to. Tamerlane has no idea in her mind of her own happiness because she's gone without it for so long, you know? Whereas yeah. Juno is kind of, like, unique from her in that, like, she hasn't had so much opportunity for happiness, but she hasn't given up on it. Whereas Tamerlane has mm-hmm. had opportunity after opportunity thrown at her her entire life, and she can't have any of it. She can't let herself. I don't know. That, that felt like a lot to me. Oh, yeah. Not to mention the fact that Juno is so openly vulnerable almost to a fault she hides nothing she is she is just so so open to everyone that she that will give her a chance um Mm -hmm. so the isolation has made her more desperate for connection versus with tammy who is isolated herself and every time someone gets close she's like oh that's too close i guess i gotta go further now With Bill, she it's like she's known that he's wanted to be close to her this whole time. Mm-hmm. She's known that it's real this whole time. But she she needs to pretend that he didn't wasn't being vulnerable. She needs to pretend that he she thought she needs to pretend that she thought he knew that this was fake. So mm-hmm. even though she knows that's not true. So when he's like, I really love you and I really care about you, she's like, What? You didn't think this you didn't know this was fake the whole time? She knows that he didn't. She knows that he cares about her and loves her. Like she's just deflecting and projecting so that she has an excuse to push him away again without being hurt and i think she's lying to herself as much as she is to him in that scene i don't think it was actually fake for her i think she's saying that because it's easier to kick him out that way i think she's telling herself that because it's easier to keep going like that she sees it as 
she keeps Bill or she keeps her position uh-huh. in the company. And uh, Madeline is there to tell her that the company will be more fulfilling. Uh, Madeline's like, don't you love work? Work is, <laughs> work is great. Yeah. Work, people. work is great. I also like that because you talked about earlier how Madeline seems to have like more of an attachment to Tammy than any mm. of the other kids. Um, and I, I think that's probably because, I mean, before they were rich, the only kids that were around were um, Frederick and Tammy. And Tammy was a baby. And even though in the flashbacks we see Madeline is not really about the kids. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't really care. But like, that's still more... I think she still probably had more of an opportunity to bond with them and like have a connection with them. And since Tammy was like the girl, like kind of seeing her grow up um, before they got like really rich and then could probably have like maids and other people take care of them. And a lot of the kids that are a lot of the Usher kids like didn't find out they were Usher kids and weren't welcomed into the family until they were adults. Um, so the fact that Madeline saw Tammy grow up and got to be there and was there for the beginning years and just kind of like wanting to instruct a younger woman of like, hey, don't let a man control you, <laughs> like be your own yeah. person um, and seeing her build this business venture. I think Madeline definitely had like more of a connection to Tammy and seeing you pick up on that is great because I didn't necessarily think about it but i'm like yeah that absolutely makes sense you know i think madeline is pretty clear about not having kids because she she yes she doesn't connect with the kids in the flashbacks but also because she knew that they would die when they're talking about oh it's so sad this is a this is kind of a headcanon for me um for the non-fans, that means this is something I believe to be true, but I'm fully aware it's probably not intended by the author. Um, when Madeline says, I got rid of my first husband because he wanted kids, mm. and Tammy says, oh, why do they always want kids? Here's the subtext that I'm getting. Uh-huh. I think they both wanted kids. Tammy didn't because she's afraid of emotional vulnerability and she's been fucked up and she is not able to care for people in that way. And I think she knows that that would mean she'd have to be more emotionally vulnerable with Bill. She'd have to be emotionally vulnerable with this little person. And it just would not work out in any way. With Madeline, Tammy was the closest she was going to get. And so being talking with this person and hammering home something for Tammy that Madeline necessarily was not able to have and being like, oh, but you didn't want kids, right? Men are the ones who want the kids. And and Tammy being like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like to each other, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? 100%. Um, I think is really interesting because I think for Tammy, we hear about what they would have been in the other life. I think in the other life, Tammy and Bill love each other. And when Bill says, hey, I want to have kids with you, and Tammy's able to be emotionally vulnerable with Bill about that and have a conversation, they end up having a family together. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that headcanon. That's good hand. Madeline does have a line in the deal-making scene with Verna that indicates she's got no interest in kids even before the deal, though. Mm-hmm. But still yeah. being seeing that she's like, I don't want kids and I want nothing to do with kids, but she still is the one to put bodyguards on 
Roderick's kids and she's the one who comes to support Tammy she says because look at how she also distances herself from intimacy she's like I'm just giving them bodyguards because what if this woman that's popping up is some psycho heir of yours yeah sure Madeline that's the only reason um yeah it's not I I like I'm here at Tammy's thing because she's going to save the company. No other reason, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, the, so the pep talk was totally just to, like, make sure that Tammy didn't fuck up. It was for no, that that moment of vulnerability from Madeline, however surface level it might have been. I think that Madeline, we, I'm so glad we get their backstory with their mom. Because I think much like Tamerlan, Madeline's had to shut herself off from emotional vulnerability because the alternative is to be taken advantage of the way that her mom was. Her mom dared to love someone and Mm -hmm. was absolutely ruined for it because of a man. And so Madeline's not going to let that Mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. I was going to say, so I had a whole like thought process while you were talking. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, About the potential of Madeline Mm -hmm. wanting kids because I was like... Yeah, maybe. And maybe, like, Verna said that she sees, like, oh, I see both your past person and your f- and your present person and who you could have been, like, all standing next to one another. And I was like, maybe the person she could have been was, like, a mother or something. And then I was thinking, if if she wanted to be a mother so bad, or, like, even potentially, she could have adopted and not have had that, like, kind of structure of a man being having like some sort and it wouldn't of have been bloodline either yeah that would have been the and loophole it, that was work. my thought i was like she could have loopholed verna and been like let's just adopt kids and then we have people who will take over the company after we're gone that we can build up to do whatever and secure our legacy but they're not our bloodline but then i was like they don't really they talk about how after they left the bar, like the memory became hazy and they thought it was just a shared delusion. Yeah, and I want to and, talk about that later. Like the details weren't sticking. Um, so I was like, they couldn't really lawyer Verna cause they didn't remember exactly, but that absolutely probably would have worked. Well, but here's my thing. Isn't to be, and I am being purposefully gross. Is that not just what Roderick <laughs> did with Juno? Juno well... didn't yeah die though no that's the thing is that juno he brought juno into the family and she inherited everything and got got all of that and got the usher name but was never part of the bloodline on that note i do absolutely love that everyone was constantly like juno's not in the will right and nobody ever says anything when they ask that (laughs) i love that Mm -hmm. i love that and she was and I love that's, that's so good. speaking really quick about how Madeline deflects whether or not she has genuine love for the kids or any of them, even though it seems like she must to some degree have some feelings like why would she use the beta for Lenore and not herself? Mm. It would cost her nothing. Yeah. Um, the same thing with Roderick. Uh, God, where was I going with this? I was thinking about how, oh, with Juno, the same thing with for Roderick with Juno, where he's like, you're my perfect monster. I'm Victor Frankenstein, all this Ugh. jazz. But he put her in the will. Mm-hmm. He didn't mm-hmm. have to do that. Yeah. The, yeah. There are little snippets where it's like they put themselves up as these big, terrible, awful people with no actual care for other for the others around them. Um, and you see that with the way that he talks to Vic. Because his his conversation with Vic is not 
as genuine as he puts it out to be. He is still just there to ask for the heart mesh again. As much as yeah. he's like, oh, I pitted you against each other, he's full of shit. But when, and, but it's like the opposite when he talks to Juno and he's like, you're just my monster. I just married you because of this, that, and the other thing. But when it came down to it, I'm sure part of him, the part of him that had this instinct knew my kids are not getting this money. Yeah. And he picked yeah. her, someone who deserved it, whether he knew it or not to leave all of that to someone who would do the right thing with it that was like the one fucking good thing that he did in his life was was marrying juno yeah i mean and speaking of kind of like mirror how frederick mirrors roderick he also married a good person who goes on and takes the money that Mm -hmm. she inherited to do a good thing yeah mike's weird um Again, not pre- not accusing him of anything, but Mike's consistency at making a cheater character and then making the person they cheated on disproportionately treat them like shit um, and yeah. making the cheating character the potential. Maury did not go through with it. Um, Largely she because very she close didn't get to it. chance, to be fair. Yes. <laughs> if the acid but rain she still gets... happened. <laughs> but she still gets, like, she still gets to be the one who gets like redemption. Right. I, I just think that's really interesting because he's like, he's, I understand what he's saying, which is that this is a decision that hurts people, but a person who does it does not deserve to never be able to come back from that. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand that thought process. Um, it's not killing someone, you know, it's really interesting that this continues to come up in his work. I don't like it it every time it happens I'm just like oh huh there it is again. Um and he's starting to win me over on it a little bit I think. Um whether or not that's his mission. I'm starting to be like you know what you're right. <laughs> you're right. If, if someone cheated on me and and then they got burned by acid rain, it would be evil of me to pull all their teeth out. <laughs> um yeah. you had to be told that. I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I can go to the acid rain orgy I've had these tickets for all this time. And then you get to be part of a Cannibal Corpse uh, album. That's Rob Zombie's acid rain. So to Rob orgy. Zombie's acid oh, yeah, rain like orgy. The, uh, the electric, and the lunar solar eclipse conspiracy. Yeah, it's the electric warlock acid witch satanic orgy celebration dispenser. An actual Rob Zombie album yeah, title. Oh, is it actually? Yes. <laughs> Oh, that's Emma, I thought, you, I thought that's the joke you were no, making. I knew that there was no I way no you idea. that was a real reference, but it is. That's so good. I love that. That's perfect. Uh, um, I would like yeah. to talk about Leo? Yes. Is that his name? I wanted I to go to Leo. him next. Leo. Yeah. Leo. Yeah. I don't have too much to say about Leo's character. Rahul is killing it. I love he Rahul. Is. He's so good. He eats, he eats this... This, in this Rahul, show. if you're listening, so I need good. you to get that neck so tattoo in real life, please. <laughs> <laughs> A neck tattoo, even. One thing I loved about the cat episode, the black mm-hmm. cat, I think is yeah. what it's called, mm-hmm. is, and that I didn't notice the first time, is because you kind of see at the end of the episode that like, oh, he was just, like, this was an illusion, that mm-hmm. cat wasn't mm-hmm. real, like the the other cat really was just like let out accidentally um, and is still out in the kind of streets and alive. 
Um, and so it kind of like changes the perception of the episode, but I hadn't rewatched that episode since like knowing that information. Right. And again, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, as you rewatch the show, it's one of those details where you pick up on a lot of things and you're like, oh, that's really cool. So like while I was watching with Piper, noticing all the details of stuff of like how when he first wakes up after the drug fueled bender he's completely clean not any blood on him or anything and then he goes to the fridge and suddenly there's blood on him and he's like oh what the hell Mm -hmm. um and how like every time the cat attacks him and runs out if somebody else is around he's like oh grab the cat and or like grab that bitch or like whatever and Everybody, like, reacts, but the reaction can be interpreted as, like, they just uh-huh. missed it, or it can be interpreted as, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, the way about? Frederick reacts specifically and... is very, like, nothing just happened in this room, what are you talking about? But yeah. then he sees the eye, and he's like, I love how eye? Leo is... <laughs> yeah. Leo's, Leo cares and gives advice to his siblings. Frederick mm-hmm. is like, maybe you should wash that. Anyway, I'm taking this. Yeah. Okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> so good. The two different older brother options that you can get. You flip a coin whenever an older brother yeah. is made. It's either one or the other. <laughs> um, yeah. Something actually I also love about that is you don't see any of the animal corpses either. So, like, when he knees Julius in the face, and then he wraps up the bed, you you know, when Jules is back in there, you don't see the blood stain Mm -hmm. on the bed. You don't see any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, like the the reveal where the tub is completely empty at the end of it, you know, it's all like, it just really, really works for me. Yeah. Huge fan. It's really good. I like it a lot. So, I would like to loop this into... When was each sibling's last chance? That's the question I would like to pose to us all, starting from the top on down. You know, episodes uh, two through seven. Yeah. So I mean, Perry's was it's pretty clear, pretty obvious. Perry's I think, yep. I think they're all pretty clear, actually, isn't it? It's when Verna shows up and says, "You've got a choice to make this a little bit easier for yourself." Mm, but with well, Vic. Vic, she interacted That's with Vic true. like seven Vic times. Vic has a lot of chances. She had a actually. lot of outs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think Perry is at the party to like not yep. turn on the sprinklers or yeah. like yeah don't do this don't kick it off things yeah Camille's um, just like literally do not yeah, go into the literally monkey room. Just yeah, you <laughs> shouldn't be in this building don't fuck with don't fuck with I love how whenever the the sibling makes the choice to um to do the bad thing, Verna turns off sympathy mode and turns on dramatic bitch <laughs> mode. It's mm-hmm. my absolute favorite thing about yeah. her. She's immediately like, look at my chest scar, bitch. I love her yeah. so much. Yeah. Also, as the security guard, she sounds a lot like Michelle Rodriguez, and she I love that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, she was really oh, hot you're totally as the security right. guard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's got that, like, be mean to me energy. That <laughs> is really, it really works for yeah. me. <laughs> It is very Michelle Rodriguez. Vic's last chance would be the phone call where she's talking to Verna about like the procedure and Verna's like, I, I'm not sure I want to do it unless like you have Dr. Ruiz call me. Um, I think that's the last time they interact. Yeah. No, cause they interact that's... after she's killed uh, Ruiz. In the phone and... call. Yes. I think that she's already doomed. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, think that because that, Verna knows Al is dead by that point, and is it, I think that the choice would be 
when she did not call 911 for Al. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that is the choice for her. I don't think Verna necessarily had to be yeah, there. I... Because since she had been there at other points. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But I I think that just, just because Al's already yeah. dead and... There's nothing that Vic could have done in that conversation with Verna to change anything mm-hmm. at yeah, that Yeah, it really point. feels like killing Ruiz is the turning point for her. What about Leo, yeah. though? Because I think Leo's is uh, as the moment he buys a different cat. Yeah. Well, she... I mean, she was obviously like, get these other cats. Mm-hmm. Um, Just go back to like, your no, boyfriend. No, it has to be that one. Say, I'm I think sorry. getting a different cat and owning up to what happened... Imagine was... Jules's expression if Leo had come back and been like, look, uh, Pluto, something happened. I don't remember it, but I got this little baby. They were going to kill her tomorrow. Jules would have melted. Uh, he would have yeah. been so sad, but he would have immediately like melted for this cat that was going to be killed at the shelter. He might not have spoken to Leo ever again, but he at the very least would have taken the cat. Do you not think um, you blacked out and killed my fucking cat is a deal breaker? Nina just said that they might never speak again. Okay. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a deal this breaker. This is Leo's out. It's, Leo's out from I just, a painful I don't, death. I don't know that he would even take the cat. Like, that's... I think Jules would have taken... Jules loves cats. Also, Leo doesn't have to say, I killed your cat. He can also say, hey, man, I don't think Pluto's coming back. I know that this cat can never replace her, but she was going to be killed tomorrow, and I and she needs a home, oh. and you, you yeah. need a cat. Yeah. I think that was definitely the I... Think the out is later on when Verna comes to his apartment and she says something about like sitting down to have a little bit of peace before the inevitable. Mm. Instead of running around, instead like a of crazy running around and slamming falling off of the yeah uh, the balcony and stuff. Yeah, he could have just That's sat possible. down and died quietly instead. Yeah, but I feel like every time Verna is giving them an option it's an option to be like a better person and to own up to things it's a couple different chances I feel like yeah yeah I feel like Leo's big chance to own up to things would be to speak up and tell the truth to his partner but that's me that's Mm -hmm. my interpretation no I think there's probably multiple like this is a fun discussion to have but I think there's definitely multiple chances for most of the characters because if Tammy had spoken up a little quicker before Bill left you know then it's possible that things might have gone differently there as well Um, I don't think Verna has to be there for the decision but the decision is posed I think that Lenore even had multiple chances. Verna names, oh, you called the cops for your mom, but that's a no-brainer. I think Lenore made a more impressive choice when she refused to give in to Pim. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Great scene, by the way. I love how she goes back great over really to talking scene. to him. She goes back over to the cops and she's like, I'd like to make another She's like, statement. this bitch! I'm going to tell you even <laughs> yeah. more of the truth just because fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, one funny thing... I want to say about Mm. Tammy and her chances is like her whole chances are revolved around like open up, talk to Bill, like share your feelings, be vulnerable. But there's this when she starts seeing Verna in the background of the built videos and being involved and she's freaking Mm. out to Bill about that. 
It's like, I can't believe, like, you would, like, invite her and have her be in these videos. Like, what the fuck are you doing? And Bill's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, can you show me? And she's like, it's a live stream. Of course I can't show you. Like, it's gone. <laughs> and both Piper and I are like, you could act easily access bots. Easily. <laughs> also, you can easily. Did you get a screen grab? You... She's like, no, you can't. Yeah, you can. You literally can so easily. You this saw her. Your phone is right there. At the very the worst case scenario is you take you a picture of your fucking TV. So there are three options here. One, um, Tammy doesn't know that you can take a screenshot of a of a thing. Two, Tammy knows you can take a screenshot of it. Forgot to. Doesn't know about vods and is counting on Bill being too stupid to know that you can take a screenshot of a <laughs> of a live stream. Three, Mike didn't know you can take a screenshot of a live stream. I think oh, that gosh, one is the least likely. Knows <laughs> you can take a screenshot of a live there stream. are. Multiple writers on every episode. There is no way in hell that none of them do. You could screenshot a live stream. Mike, I if you don't it mind, been easier. In. <laughs> Mike, please. Um, I think that what probably I, I, how I would have done it were I writing the scene would be to pull a little Verna magic and have there be a screenshot of the scene. Because we see later that without she, her in it, without her in it, but maybe like, or maybe Tammy sees her there, and and Bill's like, that is clearly a different person, you know, something that's a little less blunt than I can't take a screenshot of a live stream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel like because Bill asked, he knows you can do that. You know, and it's him like and his long suffering relationship with yeah, Tammy. Yeah, he's just like okay, when she's sure, like, Tammy. it's a live stream, Bill. You can't screen grab a live stream. And she's just like, I'm sorry. If I had realized she was there, I obviously would have kicked her out. I understand how this. Tammy works. has asked Leo to pause his game for a family meeting, and has been very mad when he's like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's online. <laughs> As we all know, online can't be paused ever. Ever. Yeah. This is, he's like, I'm playing League. I can't. I'm playing League. I can't pause. Can't pause. Give me a it's second. He does seem like a League player. He does, doesn't he? I love him. Yeah. <laughs> also, 100%. totally unrelated. I love when Bill was doing the We Built This Body on Work oh and Soul, <laughs> but the, the subtitle is Built. Mm hmm. You know? Yeah. Like his yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I love him. What a character. Oh, I am sad and and um I think Mike has said that there just wasn't enough room. Mm. I'm sad we don't get an update on Bill. I know that Bill doesn't have as much um trauma resources to do good as like mm -hmm. Juno or Mori did or as much like motivation right, to of the um because of the prenup, poor baby. Um, but like, I am bummed that we, out of all the, obviously Jules, we kind of get a little bit. Bill, we basically get nothing. Even Beth and Toby get a nod of taking down Arthur Pym. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, good for them. Um, I'm so happy for them. I hope they stay together forever. <laughs> um, and trauma bonded for real from one really bad internship. <laughs> um, but yeah. No, I wish we'd gotten a little epilogue on Bill, but I understand we had so much to catch up on in that last episode. It's okay. Mike told us he got bigger than Blippi. That's yeah. what's important at the end that of the is, day. Really. Thank you, Mike. Y'all know who Blippi is? No. That man haunted my fucking life at that work. Sucks. Because I didn't Blippi, know the wonderful was, yeah, world I thought, tour. I they made so, to, so is the person that town. Tammy references choosing Bill mm -hmm. over. 
that's a real mm. person as well. Sorry, that's no, really no. funny. Yeah, he's like a a kid's music guy. Um, oh god, he has this a uh, really catchy song. Monster trucks are big. Monster trucks are loud. I cannot deal with this. I am gonna. I cannot. No, I can't. Yeah, no. yeah. Welcome to my Christmas last year. I am so oh, no. sorry, Noah. God, it sucked. Um, can I talk about? Uh, someone else that we haven't talked about a whole lot, and I don't really have a whole lot to say about. Um, I love Camille, but no, I actually have nothing to say about Camille. I love her, and she's hot, but she's pretty much what you see on screen. To say about herself while no one and I said that exact thing. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I'm just a fan, and I'm spinning and spinning and spinning. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what ruined me taking notes. I think. In an interesting way, the most interesting thing to discuss about Camille for me is how her death is the only one that actually emotionally shakes up another sibling. Mm. Leo is devastated that Camille is dead. Like, no one else gives a fucking shit that any of the other siblings die, but Leo having to get ready for Camille's funeral and remembering what she would say about the outfit that he would wear to it is the most genuine display of actual grief in the whole fucking show. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love, Uh, no, I was going to say Arthur. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Arthur. You finish what you were going to say. I I just, I love in the, the meeting where they're like, we really feel like Leo should be the one to make the, uh, the announcement. Here's the, you know, they have hand in the paper and he reads it and he reads the first couple of lines and he's like, are you fucking kidding me? We're going with this. And then Tamerlane says, oh yeah. Are we really going with, she was 34. Is that the number we want? Yeah. As though that could possibly be what he's objecting to. Tears streaming down his face as he says it. Yeah. That was one of the only improvised lines in the show. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's what happens yeah. when you work on a it's, project with someone enough. Is it's, <laughs> you know what? It's great that she had two improvised moments because getting smacked on the back of the head with the, um, the NDA <laughs> by Pim was... Also, an that accident. That was an accident, and she just went with it, and Mike laughed at it so much. He was like, "That's absolutely going in the show." I love Pim's. So let's, let's talk, talk about, about Pim. Pim. I love, I love Pim's relationship with the siblings. Mm. Um, I love how they're all kind of scared of him, but also just accept that he is He's there. Just a presence. Um, my my two favorite things about Pim: one, that we learn that in the past, this man has recounted his stories to these children whole hog details and then just peters out just (laughs) kind of stops and like multiple times he's told these stories and it's so hard at age like he's been around for a while um so at age 70 it's hard to imagine this man telling these stories but like he used to that's so interesting he told stories he used to to be able to talk about this stuff yeah back when he was like 40 and 50 even maybe 60 (laughs) Like, that's so interesting. I love how long-suffering he is with the family. It's he. It's almost like, again, there's this instinct in the people who have seen or interacted with Berna to kind of be drawn certain places mm. and do certain things. And I saw a, one of the only fucking good things in the Tumblr tag for this show was that someone was talking about how Verna in the deal said you will never be touched by the law and there's an implication there of like, oh, so Pim never needed to do anything because she w- they were protected by Verna. But what this person poses and what is absolutely true is that Verna directed Pim to uh, them. P- Pim is Verna's protection. Yeah. 
um, mm-hmm. in in that way. And, mm-hmm. I, and as such, he got the carryover protection because he had to be safe to keep them safe. Right. Yeah. yeah. Or he's just that fucking good. Yeah. Well, and that's that's more or less explicitly stated by Verna in that one scene that they have together, right? Where she's like, you are mm-hmm. truly beautiful at what you do. You really, you are actually yeah. one of the people who earns their reputation every inch. Like, she spends several minutes just talking to him about how cool she thinks she is, that he is. Like, yeah. <laughs> she is smitten yeah and if he was doing nothing because she had her like you know her magic protecting the usher family she wouldn't do this because she doesn't pay anybody lip service she does this privately with him specifically even just to tell him like like yes there has been something bigger going on for them and you've kind of been under the umbrella of it and stuff but also you could do this by yourself and you did do this by yourself yeah I love how he says, I have no connections, no collateral. I love nothing. And then when she puts her hand on his cheek, he leans in. He shudders a little, closes his eyes. And when he is being led up those stairs, he looks for her. He sees her. He keeps his eyes Mm -hmm. on her. It's like when you have nothing else in your life that you could possibly love, you have opened yourself up to be able to love something that was otherwise unlovable. There is a connection there that Verna Mm. can have with nobody else. And as small as it is between the two of them, it is because no one else could have that the way that they do. It's powerful. I I loved it. The way that she describes like coming up and like, seeing the expedition and describes and sets the scene of when Arthur saw her. And it's just like so beautifully like talked about and told and just kind of like this connection that the two share is like really, really and like super interesting. It's interesting and it's compelling because, because we, we get, they are the two most mysterious characters in this show who both Mm. have their own thing going on. And then to have them sit down and it's not like this combative conversation. Mm -hmm. It's the most honest the two of them have been with anyone this entire time. It's so good. I don't want or need any more than what I got, (laughs) but it makes me like, it makes me go. You know what my favorite part of it is? (laughs) It's when she walks into the house and he gets her. He's got that needle and he like injects her with whatever it is. And as she's dying on the floor, he doesn't even wait for her to be all the way dead before he wraps her up in the tarp and starts taping it up. And then she reveals herself and it's clear that she allowed that to happen and stuff just to to let him do his thing, to see how he does it. Like, like this was just a fun little thing for her. And she laughs about it. She's like, I don't know. You just had your little guy parked out front. And I thought, fuck it, you know? And they have this, (laughs) you know, what is for her just this fun little, I just got pimmed kind of moment. She's so (laughs) good. And that is, that is fully, she allowed it to happen. Yes. But that is fully him getting her in his way, in the way that he gets you. <laughs> Me when I fucking get you. But then you. she tries to get him in the way that she gets everyone. And he doesn't take the and deal. he says, no! He, she can't get him. He's the guy that she can't, she can't get. get him. I fucking love and, that. And mm-hmm. he couldn't, and, and functionally he couldn't get her no. either. They both, like, oh, they're just they so... They just dance around each other for ah. a few minutes. And that's what the scene is. This is what, what Batman is, and the Joker not... and the Dark Knight thought they had. <laughs> and they Genuinely. could not possibly. 
They wish. Fan fiction writers, we need you. It's just so... <laughs> it, and yet it's not a nothing no, scene. The scene is important. So much. It plays into the themes of, of the show. It says something important about the two of them as people. Like, when... And it's so interesting because Madeline insists that she has no collateral. Madeline insists that she's not connected to anyone and that she would stamp on anyone to get her way. But it's not true. But she cannot have that same conversation with mm-hmm. Verna. Mm-hmm. I love, I love it. I love it. I, love I it. really like Pim's yeah. interactions with Dupont as well, because in the, like the one scene, oh my God, <laughs> just the one scene where they're, you know, we, we get all the courtroom confrontations and stuff where they're both just like being antagonistic to each other. But then there's this one moment where they're sitting in the judge's office uh, at his like lunch hour, waiting for the judge to arrive. And Dupin makes a, comment where he's like you know you know pim your whole shtick is actually pretty cool or or like you know what he says like you know something about how they call him the pim reaper and he says that like you know he gets it that he thinks he's like a, a pretty impressive and scary guy and he says something about um wishing that they had a beach and a chessboard and before the judge walks in pim just goes love bergman because that was a reference to like an ingmar bergman movie and he takes a second just to be like yeah, that's a director I'm into. And then he's back to business. That's the only time we ever hear Pim say anything that's not directly related to a job he needs to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or when when August is like, says like, oh, this piece of shit, the Pim Reaper, and Pim's like, objection. And Arthur's like, and August is like, who is playing the crossword right now? And fucking Arthur does not he object to that object to because that he, is he is playing the crossword. <laughs> it's really amazing. I love them so much. Um, I want to say one more thing, yeah. and then I will. I, I want to say pretty one much more said thing. everything. Okay, do you want to go first? Oh, you. So I wanted to say one more thing about Arthur. Okay, then yeah, mine's unrelated. So go ahead. Okay. So um, re-talking about how Verna describing coming up to yeah. see Arthur was really cool. The language that she uses of, like, coming up to the surface is, like, really evocative and, like, makes me ask more questions Mm -hmm. and things. But it causes me to recall a scene that I don't fully understand and maybe some of you understand. But um, when, when I start hearing poetic language especially for an extended period, my brain sometimes just shuts off. It's kind of like mm, music yeah, lyrics. I get it. Where I'm like, I'm not necessarily paying attention to like what the words are, but the vibes yeah. are cool. And when Verna is talking to mm. Madeline and, sa- and says that, oh, I'll explain things to you, and then kind of tells a story about seeing like humanity start building cities and stuff and she or someone else builds like a citadel under the sea and Madeline's like, I don't get what the fuck you're talking about. And Verna's like, just let it sit with you. You'll get it. Um, I believe that's I another Poe moment. Actually. I think it's another. Probably. Yeah, it's, uh, the city in the sea poem by Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. Oh yeah. That's a, yeah. But that is one that I definitely started to tune out personally. <laughs> Yeah, but I just like the language of her talking about building a citadel under the sea and then a few scenes later when she's talking to mm-hmm. Arthur, talking about like coming up to the surface to see. 
And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Does mm-hmm. she live in a little citadel under the sea? <laughs> oh, who lives in a citadel under the sea? <laughs> Is she King Triton from The Little Mermaid? <laughs> um, I love how Mike has confirmed that because the easy read is that she is death or, or of some in some way it seems like as a you know as a raven ravens are related to death in a lot of ways as you know concept. noah threw those off the ark she functionally states like oh in some cultures they're seen as death omens and others are seen as good fortune so that is who she is she is both an omen of death and of good fortune um and she's not death, and she's not the devil. She is herself, and I love that for uh, her. Um, the poem, mm-hmm. I'm reading an analysis of the poem right now. Oh. Um, and this analysis is saying that the ending of the poem kind of suggests that the city is more evil than hell, and it is also suggested in kind of by the ending of the poem that death is worse than the devil. Does that clear anything up? Mm. I'd have About to watch as much the scene as again. It could. Um, all right, I'm ready to... Switch topics yeah, if y'all are. Yeah, I'm yeah, confused by this poem, okay. so let's go. <laughs> so um, one thing that's been consistent in Mike's projects are um, LGBT characters, yeah. LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this show does the most and the most effortlessly. Um, yeah. yeah. From the beginning where we learned that August has a husband to um, just all of the ushers being queer in one way or another, um, which I love. Well, most of the ushers. We don't get to see anything from Freddie. Um, I was going to say, all the bastards are, yeah. for sure. All the bastards are, um, and Madeline is, but Roderick, Tammy, and Freddie don't have a chance to really get into that. Um I love how it's done. I love how there are good characters and bad characters who are queer. Um, We have, obviously, um, Beth and Toby. Um, We have uh, Al, who is a complicated character. Mm -hmm. Um, Jules, who is not. He's just a sweet baby boy who's doing his best. He doesn't deserve any. Um, He does not deserve any of it. Um, You know, we have a really interesting, like, spectrum of these characters that I really appreciated um, that were done with care. Um, I don't think that any other relationship in the show could have, apart from the one between Vic and Al, could have been uh, a lesbian relationship based on the kind of power structures that were there. I think um, some of them might have gone over more poorly in that way. Um... Same with Leo and Jules. Like there are there are like types and stereotypes of relationships that were avoided by putting different relationships into different siblings. Mm. Um yeah. that I thought was really interesting. Um and it reminded me of uh a lot of the show reminds me of American Horror Story because it's got that like opulence and that like anthology kind of a feeling to it. But one of my favorite things about American Horror Story Hotel is that in this absolute clusterfuck of a TV show um, is one of the first trans narratives I ever saw on screen. Um, mm-hmm. And in this absolute clusterfuck of a series where so many people are having their p- characters undermined in death or like, you know, their their whole personality is getting yanked from them in the, at the last minute by some poor writing. This character got such careful treatment through the whole thing that made me feel like the writers actually cared about what the position that queerness took in the overall story. And I felt that again with House Usher, where I'm like, this isn't just here 
so that people can say that the show has queer characters. This is because this is something that is important to the people making this mm -hmm. show. Um, yeah. And I love that we get to see that in horror. And I love when we get to see it in horror because I think horror does it in a very specific way that we don't yeah. get to see in some other genres. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up. I'm real glad you brought up representation because this is something that I thought about earlier and I wanted to bring up, but then I didn't. Um, so to add on, I think the show also does a great job with um, like disability rep, mm, yeah. like mm. through um, Juno, whose actor has um, a fake leg or yep. a prosthetic leg. Um, and so in the show, obviously the character has this prosthetic leg and it's just handled yeah. really well. Yeah. And same with the queer characters and the queer relationships and just everything. And it's really refreshing watching a show like this because I feel like so many shows that have like queer characters, kind of like what you were talking about, um, and like, like di disability representation as well, um, it feels like they're doing it to check it off a list. This is a call-out like, post for... Look, <laughs> this is a call-out post for Our Flag Means <laughs> Death. Fuck you, oh Our Flag gosh. Means Death. Um, I am so disappointed in how that stuff was handled in the second season, specifically yeah. with disability. I haven't even watched season two. I will not spoil anything. Yeah. I will just say that I was just... Especially with... Specifically with one character with addiction and disability, and that is handled so well with one character in House Usher through Juno. Um, yeah. It's written really organically into her story. Um, it all makes sense. It makes sense why she would end up where she did and who, why she is who she is and mm -hmm. why she ends up where she uh -huh. ends up. Yeah. And just, it feels cringy <laughs> when other shows have a queer character or a disabled character and they're like, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Look, we we have we have this character here. We have like, look at them. We have this character. Oh, here here's a little joke about how 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 we have this character here. And, and call out post for Ted Lasso. They just bring it up you, incessantly. Lasso. A big um. recent example <laughs> is uh, for me Doctor Who. <gasps> call um, out post for Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I love I Doctor Who's great. Uh, I really enjoy Doctor Who. I love. Um, Shurigatwa, I'm really excited, I'm excited for like, to see this what new does. series. It's going to be really great, I think. I think Shudi's going to kill it. But during like the holiday specials, they have this character that's in a wheelchair. And I love that they have this character in a wheelchair. There's one episode where like there's some stairs and these people are like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we have to go. And she's like, don't worry the fuck about me. Just fucking go up the stairs. And I'm like, that's a nice little moment. That's cool. But then they keep having scenes where they're like, let's point towards this character's disability constantly. Oh my God, the TARDIS has and a ramp now. It's the like TARDIS <laughs> has a ramp now. And she's like, huh, way to be in the, like, welcome I, to the 21st century or whatever. Uh, and I'm like, this is killing me. The this same thing with me. the Meeps pronouns where I was like, yeah. there was a way to phrase, to have that scene. And just not yeah. phrase it that way. Yeah. Um, for and it's, no, go ahead. <laughs> it's just so nice watching a show have representation and not constantly pointing at it. Um, it's yeah, just really nice. It's really, really nice. I, to, to clarify, for those who might like Ted Lasso, I'm not talking about Colin. I like Colin. I'm talking about, um, fuck, Keely. Keely's yeah. arc. Um, 
because some of it was done well in Ted Lasso and some of it was not um, for multiple identities. Uh, And at some point in Ted Lasso, it started feeling like that, like, yeah, like wink and nod at the audience thing. It never Mm -hmm. feels like that in House Usher. It feels like, again, the characters are written that way because that is who they are. That is just how they would interact with each other. There's no reason for them not to, you know? And I do want to say, like, government is corrupted. Everybody's corrupted. Um, Strictly speaking, there's one party that's a bit more corrupted by large businesses than another. Um, And specifically with opioids. Um, And because this show and the Usher family have so many direct parallels to another family in real life, um, I'm really glad because they very, very easily somebody could have pushed on the show of like, hey, since... Like, this is inspired so heavily, and since, like, the Republican Party and, like, that side of, like, the nation is so big on kind of puritanical beliefs, and, like, there very easily could be conversations in the show of, like, oh, usher children, you have to, like, hide your queer identities and hide Mm. these relationships and all this stuff, and the fact that, like, that doesn't come up in the show at all, (laughs) and they're like, we're not gonna worry about that. We don't give well, a shit. That's and, fine. These people are who they are. That's and it's it. not unbelievable either because um, even when, um, even in the 70s, when, or close to the 80s, when um, Verna references, Verna and Madeline reference having a moment, Roderick's mm. only reaction to that is, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what about us? Um, which to me says that. Um, Madeline might have already come out mm. to him at some point. Mm. It does not say to me this is some weird alternate universe where people are just fine with that. I think that Madeline would have trusted Roderick yeah. To, yeah. to have said something to him ahead of time. And that kind of cues up Roderick to be chiller with his kids. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think, again, it just everything kind of just makes sense. Yeah. Noah has some really good notes here. I can't wait to read them. We should get to that then. <laughs> I have one more character I want to talk about. I'm yeah. so sorry. That was not a cue. I, would, I was no, just I would, reading some over and I would shoulder. real quick just like to say uh, I'm not talking a lot because I talked a lot during God's worst episode <laughs> summary. Um, <laughs> a lot of what Nina's saying uh, we have talked about off mic. So um, yeah. imagine some of the things Nina said as just being co-signed sure. by me and some deep points also coming from me. Because I have a lot of thoughts about the show too. It's like I just, reverse Roderick I'm, and Madeline. It's reverse Roderick and Madeline. I'm the brains behind our couple and Nina's <laughs> parroting all of my deep thoughts. And the biggest um, difference is oh that you're not siblings. <laughs> Yeah, that's a huge part that of it. Yes. Really important. Uh, that said, Noah, do you have any of? Uh, I know um, that you have big, big feelings about uh, about Pim. Do you have anything you want to add to that discussion that we had? Or oh no, I'm just mad that I didn't get around to reading uh, his backstory mm. book because yeah, I, I when I real I learned it was a a book um, one week ago when I was getting my notes in order and about to start rewatching this show. You know, I got my all the episode headings mm-hmm. in. I got some notes mm-hmm. like uh, Telltale Heart is the only one that, from what I can tell, the teleplay was not written by Flanagan at all, according to the Wikipedia oh. page. How about that? Oh. Um, he didn't touch it. It was all Danny Parker, who worked with him on Midnight ah, Mass. That's um, awesome. Now, 
does that mean he didn't have any say in it? I don't, or I mean, like, does that, does that mean he didn't write it at all? I don't know what a teleplay is versus a script. I don't know if there's a difference, but she was the primary um, credit on that bad boy. So, you know, like, I don't know, things like that. Uh, but yeah. I have nothing else to add to Pim. I think he's a really compelling character, and I'm glad that the show doesn't have any more about him. I can only, God, if it wasn't fucking Flanagan, if if this was a Marvel show, I would have 17 different Arthur Pym spinoffs, and I would hate him. Yeah. And I'm so glad that Pym <laughs> only works. Series. Pym only works in this bubble of not seeing him on screen at all. We are told he's a great lawyer and we don't need to see him be a great lawyer. We are told he's a great fix-it guy and we only need to learn that because he comes in and he's like, I found these photos on the internet. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. According to the metadata, they've been up there for years. Cool. That's all. I don't need to see him find the photos. I don't yep. need to see any of this shit. I get to see him be the cool guy and vanish. And if I see more than that, his character falls apart because he is balanced on the yeah. head of a pim, so to speak. Yeah, really. Great news. Really. Page, Great news. Nina has the book. Page 273 of my giant fuck off Yo. Poe book is Arthur Gordon Pym's story. So we'll be reading that. Nice. nice, nice. Fuck, it's huge, man. <laughs> this book is giant. It's like 100 pages long. This shit's like 100 pages oh long. God. Oh, fuck. And there's hieroglyphs in this. Well, yeah, he went everywhere. How the fuck am I supposed to? <laughs> no, it's like in, in the writing, in the main text yeah, line. Yeah, he went everywhere. <laughs> the root hieroglyphs. To be shady. <laughs> I'm going to hold this up to the camera Incredible. just so that you can see. It's not, like, big. It's just, like, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to read that. Anyway, Emma had another character. Yeah. I have another character I yeah, want to talk got? about. Verna. I love Verna. I love, I love Verna. Verna. I think she's yeah. fascinating. Speaking of characters, um, we all don't right, moving see on. a ton of, but we get the perfect amount of yeah. them, right? Carla does an incredible job. Mm -hmm. As always. Such a cool character. I love her. She is a cruel, cruel bitch. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, she is. She constantly is going around complaining about the state of humanity, how humanity doesn't, like, prioritize those who and really And then she says, help. what can I do about um, this? Ooh, I'm going to make it and worse. And then <laughs> I'm going to give power to the people that are shitty, actually. And then at the end of their lives, I'll laugh at them and shame them for doing <laughs> shitty things God, with the power I, I, I love gave that. them when I knew that they were <laughs> shitty people. Because <laughs> she was like, during the uh, deal scene, she's just like, yeah, you can, uh, you're, you're going to run the company. It's all yours. You could be altruistic or not. I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to mm -hmm. come and collect what's mine later. And it's like... After she knows bro. they already murdered mm -hmm. a person. Yeah. So she yes. knows they're not good people. They're not You don't see do her standing things. next to good people yeah. in pictures on the internet. No. <laughs> I'm like, Verna, if you want the world to be good, maybe start talking to some nice people. I don't nice know <laughs> how much she does want yeah. people to I, be She good. wants the world to be interesting. My, my personal read of her is that she is fascinated with the evil of humanity and and she is playing with evil people like dolls because she loves seeing what new yeah. evils they come up with. And then she punishes them for well, damn, it and such. Yeah, damn, Verna. Yeah. Stop playing with those dolls because they're causing a climate crisis. Well, and this is pretty much what Kim things. says, right? Because she makes the that little joke that kind of implies that she made a deal with Donald Trump. And Pim says a, a line <laughs> that is basically to the effect of, would you kill him faster, please? <laughs> When's his deal coming to yeah. like, Even I have my limits, tired he of says. It. Yeah. 
Yeah, she is the um she's really interesting because she kind of waits around for people who are doing awful things and then steps in and is like, "Hey, want to be awful <laughs> like to awful, see how you? like how deep <laughs> how down it you? really is in their heart and what they're actually willing to mm-hmm. do because they think they're willing to do anything to get what they want." And she says, "Is that true or not?" Um mm-hmm. because it's the only come up and sell ever really face is from her. And so the question for me is like to pull it to D&D alignments, what is hers? Are we looking at neutral evil? Are we looking at true neutral, chaotic neutral? Like, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts would be. I think she's a normal person because I can think outside of D&D. I am very smart in ignoring the prompt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think she's true neutral, though. No. No, she's evil. No. She's some manner of evil. Yeah. I feel like... I think she was potentially true neutral at one point, but... Eternity is a long time, and I think she got bored, and mm. so that to me reads eventually as... that kind of shifted. She had an alignment change, and I think she's um, neutral evil. See, because my thought reads it as it's really hard to quantify the morality of a being beyond our understanding. You're ignoring mm. my prompt Lawful again. Evil. No, I'm just kidding. You're right. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Neutral's the right answer because no, it's, it's really it's hard. Lawful. Right. It's in like my the terminology. It's she offers it's a like contract. The Christians used to be about. Lawful can be neutral. <laughs> so lawful neutral then. Oh, yeah. I did say neutral. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, are you saying lawful neutral or are you I'm saying, saying lawful, lawful evil? evil? Because okay. she is definitely evil. If she were not evil, she would use her power for something other than making the world worse. Yeah. She would change the world in a way that doesn't change it at all. So, it would be a neutral kind of thing. But here's the question. She would make deals with more regular people who aren't going to cause massive, horrible amounts of death and suffering. She makes deals with people who specifically will be the worst they can possibly be because she's offering them a contract that they cannot possibly get out of. Okay, here's my yeah. thing. I don't think... I think she's lawful. I don't think the laws that are being followed are hers. She constantly references loving her job. Mm-hmm. She is she is an agent of something. Jesus. She talks about not liking certain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, she talks about not liking a lot of elements of what she has to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like collecting and shit like yeah, that on innocent do, people. Says, yeah. Not her thing. I think she's an agent of death and that she has chosen to... I think the the people she makes deals with are her choice, but she has been tasked to go out and make waves yeah. in yeah. this way. That makes sense. Um, I'm still gonna say neutral evil. <laughs> okay, I think I think neutral evil. I would say lawful, other than for the fact I think she follows the rules. I don't know that she likes it. Yeah, I... and I think if we're talking alignment, you can follow rules and still not necessarily. That's how I end up playing a lot of evil characters. Is like they'll follow the rules, but not because they believe in them. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, she mentioned that Roderick is in her top five by body count. I well, really want to know if Mikey had thoughts about who the other four were. I imagine oh, you know Hitler Genghis Khan. probably was one. Genghis Khan actually has Genghis to be Genghis Khan up has there. got to yeah. be number one. I, it, he has to be. 
And would uh, imagine Carly Gugino hanging out with Genghis I'm Khan? I'm doing it. I'm on with it. Genghis Khan <laughs> with uh, one of it's at least Nero for sure. Nero's one of yeah. the people. Maybe I don't know about Nero. Caligula, Gucci Caligula. Gucci Caligula is a really good line. Add this to the, the name list of, my of new questions band. to ask Mike on Tumblr. Yeah, <laughs> be like, hey, because there are plenty of. I think what's interesting is we see plenty of evil. We see other evil people in this world that Verna has not made a deal with. We see Griswold and the Usher's dad. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. There's a lot that goes into. Well, let's be honest. Griswold didn't have the kind of potential that Roderick and Madeline did. I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> he was a small-minded yeah. evil man. Also, he was going to burn out and be fine. They were trying to get it. Yeah, he had nothing to try and get from her. Yeah, yeah. No leverage, like Pim said. I think. The biggest um, kind of point in Madeline Roderick's favor that makes it unrealistic is, which they have to have because of the way that the story works, is that they were born, actually born into nothing. Yeah. And and rose through the ranks. Mm. There was no nepotism that got them where they were going. They Yeah, they were the kids of this big like right, company. but in a disgraced but bastard, I love right. Griswold talking about it too, where he's just like, "We all knew." I don't know why he never bothered <laughs> claiming has you. Always, known. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is why Roderick decided he was going to claim all of his mm-hmm. bastards because he didn't want them to grow up like he did. Yeah, if no well, other also reason. Because definitely they were not going to die <laughs> that Verna. But also because they were going to die a horrible death because of him, regardless. So it's like, well, I've got to give you right, everything but he, that yeah. I can because I owe you that at least. And I wonder if there there was that itch that because again he didn't remember of like knowing that, but he justified it with, oh, it's because of my dad. Okay, can yeah. we can we talk about the not remembering thing? Because oh my god, I love that so much. The idea mm-hmm. that you could make this Faustian deal with someone like Verna, but then like that shit wouldn't feel real, right? Because that's insane. That's ridiculous, and it doesn't happen <laughs> yeah, in real life. Literally... Walking away from it after pulling a murder all nighter. How are you to feel except, huh, that was weird. I'm going to deal with shit that's real now. Yeah, I mean, they're literally, <laughs> as they walk out of the bar, they're like, damn, that's... That was crazy. You think that actually is yeah. anything? And they literally basically land on probably not, but who knows, until they turn around and see the bar was yeah. never there. But then, just like he said, they were a little caught up on the murder thing, so they just didn't uh-huh. think about it again. The, those next couple of days would be so busy something like that could very easily just slip your mind because it would get stored in your brain the same way that a weird dream would. Like, oh man, you remember that weird stress dream that we both had the night that we killed Griswold? That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, we both killed Griswold and then the devil appeared and said, I'll make you live forever or something. When you just committed such an incredibly horrible, horrible murder, isn't it such a believable idea that you would have a stress dream about making a deal with the devil? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Especially when she literally says the line, souls aren't real. And anyway, if they were, you sold yours tonight brick by yeah, brick. Like, that, that's the kind of thing that's going to stick I, with you. I love her so much. I, I love the idea that you could make a deal like that and just, I, I don't know, forget about it afterward, maybe. Because, like, I don't know, it was a weird weekend. It was just a crazy night. I love that it also seems like Verna just kind of let it go for a hot second. She wanted them. <laughs> she was like, all right, yeah, off they go. She's like, yeah, they'll forget about it, whatever. Yeah. Have a good one. Well, I'll be back. And then she shows up and she is like... Surprise. Just hanging. <laughs> She's like, hey, it's me. It's me. God, I love her. Hi. 
I'm the raven, it's me. <laughs> oh, that's so cringe. Uh, <laughs> classic. I like doing this trick. Uh, I call it making Nina's skin turn inside out, where I say shit like that, and then Nina's skin turns inside wow. out. It work- it's that's incredible. I have Why do you call it that? one last thing. Oh, yeah? And then I'm done. I have no more other things to say. No more things. Um, re-watching the show this time. Um, so we have young Roderick Usher. Mm. He's like an adult working at the company, has a wife, has two kids, um, played by the guy who plays Rory in Midnight Mass. I don't know the actor's name. Zach Guilford. But watching the show now, and especially watching episode one when we see Roderick and Madeline as kids. Yeah. Um, and knowing that young Roderick was played by Rory's actor, seeing the kid actor and he's not a kid he's like teenager probably but seeing him and uh, like throughout episode one i was like that kid looks spectacularly like the actor who plays rory or young Roger. are we talking wait hold on a second and uh, who are we riley, ta- not so rory. talking riley. about here riley, okay riley, i had yeah, to look it sorry. up oh okay 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 thank I got you it. i apologize um I'll dub I was it. like, I just this, assumed this I forgot his name. <laughs> I see too many. Like, <laughs> remarkably Sorry, like young t- Roderick, the actor who plays young yes. Roderick. And mm. I was like, does he have a brother? And did they cast the brother as Kid Roderick? Because that's genius. Yeah. And Kid Roderick is doing a pretty good job. Um, and then I looked it up and they're not related. And I was like, oh, that's, that's crazy. very surprising because they look a lot alike. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. The reason I remember Riley's name is because a lot of this is this is a big one, you guys. A lot of edits for Father Paul from Midnight Mass start out with him yelling at Riley, and he says Riley's whole <laughs> oh, yeah. name a lot in oh, that yeah. sequence. Yeah. Classic Nina L. Remembering people through TikTok fan edits and fan cams. <laughs> yeah, it's a disease. <laughs> Nina's when there's a healthy way to remember names versus Nina's when they can go on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I had the same thing watching uh, Better Call Saul recently because there's a scene where there's someone playing someone's mother and they you think because you hear her voice first that they've just put the adult... It's uh, Kim. You think they've just put Kim's actress like in makeup to make her look older or something because you can hear her voice and it sounds exactly the same and then they cut and it's not her. It's a completely different person. And I'm like, why does she sound just like her? That's actually terrifying. People are people are getting too good at casting these days. Uh, also, if you're playing the casual obsession drinking game at home, Nina did just start talking about Better Call Saul. Yeah, it, drink. it's going to happen for a couple more weeks. I'm <laughs> fully caught up now, though, so <laughs> I'll get it out of my system. I'm looking forward I to also, seeing how you I've talked about all of my shows. in our next movie discussion. Yeah. Don't worry. It'll I'm happen. I'm real curious. It'll be in the ghouls. We'll find something that uh, someone has been in. Yeah. Perhaps, yeah, that makes sense. Perhaps. I've actually been wanting to watch Nobody. But oh, I you don't want to. No. Is it? It's dumb. It's, okay. it's just it's just action and such, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a shot then. It's it's um, Walmart. Are genre, we ready? In a way. That's yeah. what I hear. And isn't if <laughs> who? What is Bob Co- Odenkirk if not Walmart? Don't. No. Don't even. <laughs> don't even. No. No. That's just not. 
Don't do that That's to either of right. them, frankly. No. I didn't say they I didn't finish that. They were entirely their own We things, know what you meant. You know, they... That's not even where I was going. Well, then what were you going to say, <laughs> Walmart. You're calling like, Bob Odenkirk a... Walmart? Wow. Yeah. I'm telling him you said that the next time that I have lunch with him. <laughs> I'm tweeting him right now. Please do. He's listening God, to this podcast to already. It's too late. I'm laughing. I'm actually, no, that is too little for you. Hi, Mr. Odenkirk. Mr. Odenkirk, please. <laughs> Mr. Odenkirk. So I suppose uh, we're ready. I are think we we're ready, ready for, for Noah's notes. notes? Yeah. Okay. We're talking about Better Call Saul. Noah says, <laughs> Noah says, yeah, that's how you know we've hit the end. Um, Noah says, uh, I love the opening of this episode, flipping through the family suspect list with all. You got to say what episode we're in. Oh, we're on the first episode. I'm going through this chronologically. Hmm. When we get to a new episode, okay. I'll let you know. Um, through this family suspect list with all their death dates. Honestly, if I had paid attention, I could have known who was going to die in what order, but I was too distracted this time, way too invested in being excited the first time. He says, Kate is so fucking hot, what the fuck? Me too, bestie. Could write that note about any of these um, shows. Honestly, yeah. It's a copy and paste from my last set of, of course. <laughs> Noah says, I can't imagine being so rich and shit that my doctor is like an honest to God personal doctor who like is going to your house to tell you serious news. Unimaginable. Also, Perry locking his car as the doctor walks by, LOL. <laughs> the details of these characters. I know that Kate had a bunch of notes on Camille oh, yeah. that like Mike has posted on Tumblr that cracked mm -hmm. me up. Um, Camille speaks French and German and thinks in German and has to translate back to English, even though Kate cannot do that. <laughs> so many, like, she's allergic to cereal. Did you see that one? <laughs> I love her so much. My favorite much. is the, the dog her, leash one. I mean, Kate. Oh, yeah. How there's a dog cage yeah. in, like, her bedroom. There's a moment where she, like, does a little bit of tidying up, and one of the things that she, like, grabs and tosses off to the side is a collar and a leash. And then there's yeah. a human-sized dog cage over in a corner of the room. Yeah. This was entirely um, Kate's idea. Kate really fought <laughs> I for... I love her <laughs> Kate really fought for um, her to have, like, an animal play thing. Yeah. Um, but never talk about it. Yeah, and, and the Mike her. said that he like resisted the idea at first, but then the more that she argued in favor of it, he was like, "Yeah, you know what? She's making this actually really fit with the character and with her specific mm -hmm. interplay with Toby and Beth, and like it just it works. It feels like it's important." I would not so even blink, honestly. No. It just does not even surprise me. No. Her favorite uh, her favorite snacks are green tea Kit Kats, but they have to be the ones from Japan. I respect that. She's yeah. so yeah. me. I mean, when you're you rich know? like that, you can make these insistences. Yeah. It's not even that hard. No, it, no. Even if you're not rich, you just have to know which place to mm -hmm. go. I'm just saying she's also allowed to make the insistences she because is. she's rich. True. Noah says, on a rewatch, the foreshadowing details really stand out. The Dutch on Roderick's hands, the death dates of the kids letting us know what's about to happen. The kids on the balcony that all set up how they died. And the framing sh with him in August at the house is also really great. I love seeing all the side view shots with them heavily lit up by the fireplace. Um, I love the stage we have set for us. It really works for me, especially on a second watch. Yes. Initially, it's kind of like intriguing, but I think this whole show works really, really well Absolutely. on a second watch. We haven't talked very much about the interview scenes. They're really, really good. It's just they speak for themselves in an awful lot of ways, so they don't make yes. for good discussion. As a framing device, I really like how 
as we get to see, I know I said this before, as we get to see August and Roderick's relationship in the past, their relationship in the framing device makes more sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, especially during Tamerlan's um, episode where Roderick falls out of his mm. chair and August helps him up. And it's like, August is... August has had to see this man's entire whole thing happen. (laughs) And now he's seeing this man who he hates, like having these episodes. I love it. Yeah. Um, Noah says, this is episode two. Episode two. Love August Dupont and his shady ass practices. (laughs) This is him and just being like, Oh, uh, they must've assumed I was a cop because I was wearing the cop coat. (laughs) I love him so much. (laughs) Not my fault. Um, Roderick saying, that's an idiot question, of course not, to the question of whether there will ever be enough money is great. It's nice to see a mask off character. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> will there ever be enough? Oh, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? Of course there will never be enough. <laughs> Dumbass. Um, another note about Gucci Caligula here. <laughs> uh, we talked about that note already. All of Perry's choices are made because of the feeling of being inadequate to the rest of the family. He's just rolling as fast as he can. Leo tries to slow him down, tries to keep him from burning out. And in line with the frantic burnout thinking and how he's just an experienced child, he doesn't think twice about using a building that's slated for demolition or chemical issues. There's so much about that that anyone would know to look into. But since Perry thinks he's invincible, he just goes. The thing about that whole episode is you know the whole time every single decision that gets made you're like i'm just watching step by step every movement towards an absolute disaster every step you're like this is so obviously a terrible idea and then he decides to do it and you're like god damn it why are you like this every moment mm-hmm. of it's the entire so episode good. it's incredible it's such a strong opening mm-hmm. because so for two things in the mask of red death the book um you get several descriptions of different rooms with different colored lighting. And as the Red Death walks through each of these rooms, the people are dying in them. And there's that building of suspense and knowing what's coming when he gets to the Red Room um, that feels very much like this episode, even though it's so different, there's still that like obvious ending that we are going Mm to. Um, And we can just see it getting closer. Um, Closer? What's that? (laughs) (laughs) i also love how this episode doesn't shy away from just showing Mm. things it gives you a really good taste of exactly how self-indulgent the show's going to be compared to the others that flanagan's done they've been all very like the death scenes have been appropriate for the character and tragic and i think you get one truly gruesome death per show um this show we get approximately um, per episode eight gruesome deaths yeah. yeah this particular episode we get a damn cannibal corpse album on it it's so good mm-hmm. you this this episode really opens with yeah this is what we're doing we're doing it are yeah. you in also um we forgot to mention this is uh, our most recent dong entry there is in fact oh, dong. dong, and it's this episode specifically there is a lot of dong in this yeah. episode can i uh good when you finish let me know when you finish this episode and then i have a comment mm. all right noah says um, I love Roderick's idea of what AI is. Yes, Roderick is stupid. Putting her into some video game or something. <laughs> um, I love Lenore. Noah says, and grandma? No, never again. I'll hit you. 
I love yeah. Judah so much. She's immediately like, we are closer to the same age than I am to the man I'm married to. Please do not do this to me. The way she um, says, I'll hit you. Too, the way she like whispers it. Like, I love her you, so much. I, I want to give yeah. her a hug. Noah says... Love the hush mask at the orgy. Personally, if I was looking to get laid at the orgy, I would not be wearing an incredibly disconcerting mask. (laughs) No. So Noah says that I would not wear the hush mask to an orgy. Lots of people were into the guy from Hush. And so uh, jot that down. That's really concerning. (laughs) Go through that Tumblr tag sometime if you want to. I'm good. Um, people are into the guy from fucking Black Christmas. That was one I found out. I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed. Is it Noah? I think the Hush guy is more normal. <laughs> what, it is big sad eyes? normal, to be frank. All right. Some of us don't like to get hunted for sport, I guess. <laughs> Nina says some Noah big says... statements right now, but when I try to hunt Nina for sport, suddenly it's leave me alone. I'm trying to concentrate. Stop poking me. <laughs> yeah, classic. Noah says, um, you didn't read the invite? Perry, buddy, you know you didn't invite her. Um, there's a note about using nine inch nails. Naturally. Good shit. The remix is fun. The mixing isn't as bad as I remembered it being. This is Nina, not Noah saying this. Um, I remember the not really feeling the music the first time I watched it. Maybe I was just too focused on the gore. Nina um, hated the music in this show the first time we watched oh, it. Oh, I hated the score to this to this show the first time the, we watched it. I don't hate it as much this time. There's still a couple scenes where I'm like, this the is The original music is all very, very... Um, uh, trying not to say this in an overly negative way, it is very standard Newton Brothers Mike Flanagan scoring. And that yeah. is it's honestly very melodramatic one of too. his stuff's like, biggest downfalls to me. Is I'm just... I, I don't hate the Newton brothers. I'm just not super, super into their thing. I don't know. You don't like them as much no, as Mike does. No, not nearly. Uh, okay. Noah has already talked about this, so that's the end of episode two. Emma, what did you have to say? Um, so there's an actress in this episode. This is all speculation, mm. and this is all me. Well, some of it's not speculation. There's an actress in this episode. That's not speculation. Um, statements I'm going to mm. say is speculation. Um, okay. So Molly Quinn is a minor character in this episode. Um, Molly is plays one of Prospero's friends. She's got like red hair, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. she was like the main character's daughter in the show Castle, and she's been in a variety of other things since then. Um, and after last year, maybe around like September, October, um, Mike and Kate were in Japan Mm. for like a month long trip with Molly and her boyfriend. And when for like back then I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I didn't know these two knew, knew each other like that's cool because i grew up on like castle and really watched that show with my mom and really loved it um and they were just like on this month long trip together and mike would post like vlogs of like their days and did that for like the first like week or so and then stopped but i was always curious like why are they traveling together and then she showed up in this show And I was like, oh, so they have worked together. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. And I was expecting her to be a bigger character than she was since they were traveling together. Um, But then she dies that episode. 
And so I was like, huh. And so I'm just going to make a statement now that I think one of Mike's first Amazon shows is going to be um, set in Japan with Molly as kind of like the main character. And it'll be, none of you read this book and I read it to filth, but the Nothing But Blackened Teeth book is about kind of white people going into Japan and like being like irresponsible with Japanese culture and customs and get haunted by some like yokai and Japanese spirits and things and they die. And I think there's going to be a similar project narrative that Mike is going to do and Molly is going to be in it and a major character. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to publicly call that right now. And if I'm right, right. then huzzah. Place your fucking bets. Yeah. I'd love to see that because I really enjoyed her in this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun character, fun dynamics. Um, on that note, seeing all the behind the scenes shit that Ruth, uh, Juno's actress, posted to, I shared it in the server, but she posted to her TikTok. Extremely hilarious. Oh, yeah. Uh, it seemed like it was just a great set to be on. Um, There's um, videos of the guy who played Perry in his like full like suit, like dancing around. Kate put uh, Ruth's leg um, in the roof of one of their tents. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just she posted a picture of it. She's like, "Who stole my fucking leg?" <laughs> and then had like had like a poll, um, and like no one voted for Kate. And she was like, "It was Kate." <laughs> um, but it looks like it's it was, very Raul coded. In fairness, it, it is yeah. to be fair. But we're learning specifically through Raul Raul's and Kate's relationship that Kate's kind of a little shit, and I'm really enjoying <laughs> knowing that. <laughs> uh, Okay, Rue Morgue. Uh, I uh, want to note um, the fact that Roderick Usher experiments spells out Rue is really funny. <laughs> Hilarious. Good one. Uh, that's all I have to say on that, as Nina. Noah says, um, Leo one is the only one who is actually shocked and miserable about this, as he always is. Um Noah says, I love how offended Camille is when Leo is blitzed, but then the little face she makes when he offers her drugs is, I love that scene so much. Like, you're my PR, the head of my PR campaign, and you just took an edible. (laughs) Yeah, do you want some? Yeah, I want some. (laughs) (laughs) I love their relationship so much. Um, There's a moment later in that scene where she, like, you know, after they've been sitting for a while and... She like goes to stand up and she's talking and she just like stops in mid sentence and then keeps talking. Mm-hmm. I love her I love so that. much. She's so real. Noah says, I really hate this lemons bit because it just starts out embarrassing and then it hits real world stuff that's happened and it still cringes fuck to go off like that. Yeah, rest in peace, Mike Flanagan. You would have loved Portal 2. <laughs> um, this, I genuinely think that the Cave Johnson Life Gives You Lemon bit is more poignant and less dated and cringe than the lemons bit in Usher. People, it did not land for people me. People love the lemons bit. Well, here's the issue with the lemons bit is it's just about the Lay's potatoes. Yeah. What's wrong with that? That's that's what it is. The There's nothing thing wrong is with that, but when it's... And... It doesn't matter, though, because the issue with the lemons thing is it also has very strong internet presence, the Cave Johnson lemons bit. And it's really hard to take 
the lemons conversation seriously and then also to go on letterboxd and see 500 reviews saying this show is so lemon is fucking embarrassing <laughs> that well that's your that fault for specifically reading the reviews honestly <laughs> this show is i go there <laughs> the my thing with the lemons bit for me is just that it is the most Mike Flanagan monologue in the sh- in the show. I think Perhaps. it's the one that that stops the the plot the most out of any of them. Um, and it serves the same kind of purpose as other monologues that happen. Um, it feels like one of those kill your darlings bits where it's like you you needed to take this out because it was redundant and it's not as clever or poignant or thematically coherent as other kind of conversations that serve the same purpose in the same show but because it is so pithy for (laughs) that get it because lemons um but because it's so it's so pithy and it's so quotable they probably didn't want to take it out for that reason um but i don't think that it hits the way that like madeline's because it doesn't say anything about rod really um when he's when he gives it it doesn't it actually tricks us into thinking he has an original thought in his body yeah um it doesn't the same way when madeline gives her monologue at the end i feel like that says something about her it says something about what they've done um rod's speech to juno about who she is to him um rod's speech to the kids in the boardroom about how people asked him for ligodone um all kind of serve very similar things to me um, but fit the narrative better. That's that's my problem, really. But I I also think that it just it's a cringe ass Reddit it. comment. To I do me. hate it when any show tries to evoke modern slang. It's very it's like the Mean Girls fetch thing. I mean, um, have you considered? Yeah, the show is pretty lemon now. Oh my god, <laughs> I don't have to do anything with that. Noah says, <laughs> <laughs> moving right along. Noah says, um. Noah has a huge crush on Kate, and it's absolutely affecting his ability to write notes. <laughs> Noah Where? says, Camille yelling at the helpers, and then the tiny little owl migraine. Oh, sorry, not all the all of my notes can be a like a, a thought out like full statement. My favorite. Sorry, I'm allowed to laugh at a very objectively funny line. My favorite line in this entire show is, <laughs> "I don't give a shit, Beth." The way she says, "Beth." <laughs> Like, it's so good. Beth got turned into a seven-syllable name. (laughs) I love her so much. Noah says, Camille, you can't triple park like that. I would pause it. Yes, she can. Yeah. Um... Noah says... Well, now who's like, uh, now who's head over heels? (laughs) Noah says, Verna's name tag is good in French. Is this anything? (laughs) Is that what it said? I don't... Yeah, it just, it just says good. Obviously, it means she's good. Well, that's, I mean, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's there's the alignment, the alignment so, uh, conversation you're welcome. solved. <laughs> she's lawful good. No, no, just good. Noah, we're on to episode she's four. She's awful good. No, we're on to episode... <laughs> episode four, go ahead. Uh, we're on to episode four. Verna's character in this one's very funny to me. Noah says, little kitty cat hot tubs, deadpan. They'd hate that. <laughs> I'm a money bomb. <laughs> Verna also being like uh, looking at the carnage that the cat made and fucking Leo's like, see? And she's like, well, yeah, it is kind of weird that she put them in the tub. Uh, The zoom in enhance bit in this episode is very good. Noah says, God, I love that huge ass bag of Coke that fucking Leo gives Freddie. It's an awful lot. Oh, God, that's that's like 
It's way more than he needs. Yeah, that's like a half pound of Coke. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot in Black Cat, I think. Noah says, thank you, Mike, for doing such wildly great gore effects in your stuff. The cat was a bad time to look at. Verna was also also looked awful. Yeah, the the gore and special effects in this one are great up until the like CG cat at the very, very end. But yeah. all the practical stuff is pretty good. The CG cat throughout uh, Noah's- is a little, you know... He's there and gone, so it's like yeah. you don't have a lot of time to notice. But same with the chimps. It's a consistent honestly. issue that Mike has is his CG. He the way he does his like lighting and everything makes his CG really obvious every single time. Yeah, it is yeah. unfortunate. Noah says, "Episode five, Telltale Heart." Um, Verna thinks Mads is so hot, and she's right. Uh. Freddie going, oh, right, the hookers, and having Tammy stare a hole through him is hilarious. Uh, the fact that Freddie knows about Tammy's hookers is killing me. Why does he know that? Um, Probably Camille. Oh, so true, actually. Huh? You know she ran with that straight to everyone. Uh, I think what's more telling is the way that Tamerlane just kind of, like, nods to him when he says it, as though it's, like, not a weird thing for him to know about, like... It's just another thing. Maybe she told yeah. him. You know, when you know, I get that actually. Uh Noah says the hideous gargling voice Mark Hamill is doing is what I want to sound like so bad, and that is valid. It's a real special kind of voice. It's like a, a real, like actual normal person voice version of the meatball voice I got. What? It uh New York Italian pizza oh, man. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Noah says in the telltale heart the build-up to this reveal is insane for such a well-trodden story we managed to get a next level tense reveal to what we're, we were all starting to realize yeah to be able to take a story that everyone knows and make it uniquely and refreshingly horrifying all over again is extremely um impressive i love the telltale heart as a story and i was not expecting to be scared by it mm. again it was like hearing it for the first time it was yeah. really good Noah says, Goldbug, I really would hate to live in a house with this many mirrors. Noah doesn't like mirrors, especially in the dark. Mirrors. Um, it's a well-trodden story point. We all watched Oculus. I yeah. talked about it at length. I was it's expecting, backstory. because of how many mirrors are in her house, I was expecting the Lasser Glass to be here, but it was not. I think it was in Raw. Ra- it was in the bar? It was in the bar. It was in the bar, yeah. I believe. I have, it doesn't match her uh, decoration. I have a, a unique view on mirrors. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah I'm very pro more mirrors yeah and you know why okay why is that mirrors are one of the only things in the home that you need like a a separate special cleaning liquid for and yeah it's called windex <laughs> yeah it's really annoying <laughs> because i've been like when i moved here i was like i'll like clean the bathroom like so don't worry about it and we have like bathroom cleaner and everything and I use the bathroom cleaner on everything except, like, I can't use it on the mirror. I have to get one specialty liquid for one fucking mirror that we have in the entire place. And I'm like... You don't just use window cleaner? No, we don't have window cleaner either. <laughs> Is that not the same <laughs> thing? I, no, you I, know, I don't think we windows? have window cleaner. No. We had it till you got rid of it all by cleaning the windows. I live in an apartment because you live there. I'm not gonna... <laughs> Do you not vacuum your floors? <laughs> We clean our <laughs> floors. There's a lot of floors. But it's an apartment. Sense. Why do you bother? 
What are you talking about? You <laughs> live with oh my the windows God. every day. We, like, like, we have floors. like two fucking windows, my dude. <laughs> How do you only have two windows? That's horrible. Oh my God. Okay. Do you live in my we old have, apartment? Okay. Anyway. We have. Yeah, no kidding. I have one window in this room. Uh-huh. It is this wide. That sucks. Um, and then it's tall. But it's like a nothing window. Mm-hmm. We have a similar nothing window in our bedroom. And then we have one major window in like the living room, which is like Piper's office. But like, I'm not, we don't really clean those windows. Huh. Like they're, they're really small. Like you can't see out of them very well anyway. It's not a big deal. But re-mirrors. <laughs> I'm pro having more mirrors because then you're finally putting that like mirror cleaner to use. There. Okay. That's what I wanted to say. I'm done. <laughs> oh my God. I'm anti mirrors because I see them in the dark and I scare myself. They do get way scarier in the dark. Uh, Noah stops labeling. Oh, there I it is. I do not. Then what, what the fuck is this? If you scroll up a little... It's the movie. They're watching The Pit and the Pendulum. Oh, they're watching The Pit and the Pendulum. I forgot. The uh, the Noah one says. from the... It's it's ancient, it's the and I can't remember if that's the one. Well, there's an older one, so that's probably not the right one, but the oldest Pit and the Pendulum we have is missing, like, a reel in the middle oh. or something, or the end. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Noah, Noah says... Roderick is writing off the gold bug launches. Tammy has it down. It's fine. No worries. I don't want to be there. Uh, yeah, great, Roderick. All your kids are dying and you are ignoring <laughs> it. Good for you. Uh, Noah says, um, no, not the stock background. You're blowing it, cough. She's so cooked. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> uh noah has uh one note that is when juno gets hit with the fucking mic stand that just says juno all caps and then a sad face with like six parentheses on it yeah uh me too poor juno piper was distraught Uh, when that happened I well after Allie, i was so worried but then it like kept like showing her body it didn't like cut and there was, and no one was like that worried about her. And I was like, okay, she's she's. Well, it was just wow. Juno, you know. No one's gonna be worried about just right. Juno. Noah says, I was worried. "Congrats, Tammy, you had the most hauntingly beautiful death uh-huh. so far." And then he says, "Directed by Mike Flanagan." No shit, Bucko. It had mirrors <laughs> in it. It did feel a lot like Oculus to me. Both it had the mirrors and it had the unreality and the memory uh like the flashes of like what's real and what's not and like falling asleep only to find that you've done Mm. things um which is uh rough noah says we're on the pit and the pendulum uh noah says shut up don't you ever get tired of hearing yourself talk get his ass augie i i think i actually said that out loud (laughs) i was so sick of roderick at that point um he's just so up his ass the Noah whole says, time he is it never stops you think maybe he's gonna chill the nope. fuck out because he thinks he's chilling the fuck out but oh he's only getting worse Noah, Noah says Freddie how have you not torn down the building yet you buffoon yeah well now it's a crime scene and I can't tear down a crime scene brother you are a criminal and Roger's just like I wanted you to tear it down illegally the first time <laughs> Get the Jersey Boys. <laughs> uh, 
I love when he's on the phone. He's like, the Jersey boys listen to Roderick. The Jersey boys listen to me. And it's like, man, you're talking to the Jersey boys right now. I'm sure they don't want to be called the Jersey boys. <laughs> he's such an a dipshit. Noah says, Madeline pulling Annabelle Lee and the kids aside because she knows this is going to turn into Roderick shoving August down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly... Noah says, um... Madeline has been on top of the world so long she's forgotten what it's actually what it's like to actually be a step behind. She's running things so strongly in her life that when she's confronted with something honestly outside of her power, it takes her a hot minute to realize what's happening. Also great to know she still thinks she has a chance to deviate the contract by killing Roderick Early. I don't know why she thought that was going to work, but go yeah. off, girly. Um, if anything, it would have killed her yeah, early. It, like it just fast-tracks the whole thing. Noah says, rest in piss, Froderick. Literally, <laughs> nobody's going to miss you. <laughs> uh, Froderick. The fact that Froderick died with his dick out mm -hmm. and we didn't get to see it. No, I'm just kidding. I actually didn't want to see that. <laughs> uh, Noah says, Mad Mads heard the jingles. That should have told her it wasn't going to be a clean out for her. I am curious if Mads had Catacill or not. Kind of seems like not. Seems like not, yeah. I only say because... She doesn't see most of Roderick's delusions, but she starts to hear the jingles then, and her attacking Roderick mirrors her mom attacking her dad. Huh? That's, That's a good point. Those are my main two points, is maybe it's just to onset later than it would for Roderick. And since this whole thing was set up when Roderick would have died a, a, a natural death, maybe hers would have just started to onset right. later. Um... Who knows? Not Who us. Does. Noah says, last episode, Verna comes in and just rocks and rolls with, hey, Roger Usher, you've killed an insane number of people with your drug, you know? Freaking I, wild. Anyway, I'm almost done knocking down I your whole family. I love that scene. The bodies falling down and stuff. That's incredible. I love that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She is so sick of him at that point. She's like, let's get this out of the way. Um, Noah says, I would love to see all the flashback scenes cut in order just to see how it plays. I've had that thought, mm. too. It's one of those things where I know they're in the order they're in because that's the way that makes them actually impactful and good. Uh, but I'm also, anytime there's like a side story told, there's a part of me that would love to see the entire side story divorced from its context, which I know is like an absolute bastardization of how the scenes right. would work and would suck. But it would just be mm -hmm. kind of interesting. You know, what if I made House Usher worse? <laughs> Mood. Um... Noah says, Pim is such a sad character to look at. He's a man who's lived 70 years without an ounce of human connection because he wanted to make sure he was impeccable and he holds that line to the end. It's interesting because... Unimpeachable. He was impeccable. It's though. interesting because um, we see other characters isolate themselves and they aren't able to fully mm. isolate themselves because their family is their strength and like it's the only reason for, for um, Mads and for, for Tammy that they're able to do what they're able to do is they aren't fully detached. They want to detach themselves, but they are not, they've, it's too late. They've already made connections. They cannot fully detach themselves. Pim has nothing. Yeah. He's the one who's actually been successful Nada. in that. And you can tell because he's involved with a family that is not his. Everyone else is dealing with their own family. Pim is mm -hmm. just there. Noah says, there was a part of me that thought Lenore would survive through this since she wasn't in the direct line of children. I was devastated when Verna showed up in her bedroom. I had the same thing. I think a lot of people were in denial. Be mostly because Verna did say your children. She did s 
say children. So there was a part of me that's like, well, maybe the next generation is going to be okay. But she did also she say bloodline. bloodline. She said mm-hmm. every she usher both. that is now and every usher that will be born. And she is an usher. She did say that. Um, Noah said... I remember being a little confused about all the Egypt shit in the show, but it connects better on a rewatch. Living forever, who better to try and emulate than the pharaohs, I, sh- I suppose. Yep, agreed. Noah says, Freddy getting unceremoniously slapped down, <laughs> slapped down a bag of coke on his grave is really funny. He really doesn't deserve shit, Lamau. Um, yeah, Noah says he's just happy to have watched this one again. Me too. Um, slapping the coke down on Freddy's grave kills me. Everyone else gets like a moment of, of love. And At least light reverence, even yeah. the people that she didn't yeah. care for. <coughs> Good God. I don't know. I love this show. That's all I got yeah, to say. Really? Uh, this is a long enough episode point. already. Does anyone else have anything? You know we don't have anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to get cut down, but God, like, hope. we're past we, four hours. Yeah, we got to wrap. This is, this is a big one. This is a supersized episode for I sure. joked about the show being nine hours before. Yeah. So we just have to you have did. five more hours of I... content. I'm committed. I'll leave y'all to it then. Um, I've been Nina, one of your hosts. You can find me at Nina Wolverina on, we'll say on Instagram for now. And on Tumblr, Nina Wolverina with a three. I'm trying really hard not to be on social media Mm. much. Uh, It's bumming me the fuck out. Um, But I do still want to post about writing and stuff. Instagram is the least bummery of a place for me right now. So go ahead and follow me over there. Um... And that's it for me. And I'm Noah. You can find me as Bubba the Bad, B-U-B-B-A-D-A-B-A-D. I am on uh, Letterboxd. I am as of, well, it's tipped over past midnight, so I'm now one movie behind. However, I am currently, (laughs) if we're going to start at time of beginning recording, I am 28 movies for 28 days in January. I'm caught up. I just need to watch three more, and I'm clear for the month. Nice. Nice, nice. I'm excited. Uh, I'm not doing this again in February. No? <laughs> it's Sad. um. You got to do it the whole year. It's 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 fun in the sense of I like um numbers tick up. It is not fun in the sense of hmm. I gotta watch a movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not with the movies you're watching. In any case, uh, you can find me on Tumblr at what is it you pray for? Nice. Um, and all of those Tumblr accounts are the ones that are going to ask Mike Flanagan questions that we talked about yeah, today. Yeah, so you'll be seeing us. Because I don't have a Tumblr. Yeah. Um, and I'm Emma. You can find me on Twitch and Twitter at Emma Panada. Uh, I'm also writing a TTRPG called All the Witches. You can find information about that at allthewitches underscore on twitter.com. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for hanging out with us, everybody. Next time, we're going to be talking about When Evil Lurks. Hell yeah. Um, Jeff and I are very excited, and it should be I, a fun I'm episode. also excited. <laughs> yeah, but Jeff and I are really, really excited because we've seen the movie yeah. already. I'm excited to see it because you're excited. Yeah. But thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk to yeah, you thanks, later. Guys. Because right now I'm at four hours, 19 minutes and 30 seconds. And I just...